Hello everyone, I'm Lee. I'm Spencer. And this is the Lasso Lowdown. We're giving the lowdown on all things Ted Lasso. Spencer, we're in the back half of season two. We are on season two, uh-huh. episode six, The Signal. Spencer, I think we're going to continue this podcast. I want you to do the recap. I want it all to go as normal, but at some point during it, I'm going to give you a sign, and then I want you to be a prick. Are you ready for it? Do you need to really give me a sign to be a prick? Isn't this kind of the state I always operate in? <laughs> what an episode we've got in front of us, Spencer. We uh, have purposefully not spoken about the episode. I'm very interested to hear your take. What did you think? I felt like this was a very well, different episode than the ones we've had before, so I'm very interested to hear what you thought. Well, let me first, before I even go to my opinions, let me say I am here for you. I know this is a rough time for you. I know that this episode just piled the disappointment atop your shipping heart. I'm your friend, man. If you never want to talk about this or work through it, I'm around. So Spencer is alluding to the fact that I've been shipping Ted and Rebecca. I'm not sure that it really puts the kibosh on Ted and Rebecca, dude. I, I, no? I, no, I really don't. We'll get into it, but I, I, I absolutely don't think... It puts the kibosh on that. I think it was a downer of an episode in a lot of ways, though. And I felt like it was not of the same flavor of other episodes this season. It was very much a, a big change of pace. And, um, you know, I, I, I'll go ahead and I'm not going to bury the lead. I wasn't as crazy about it. Uh, you know, up until now, I've been telling you this is way better than season one for me. It, you know, mm. some of these were my favorite episodes of the series. I'm not saying this is a bad episode. It certainly isn't up there for me. What did you think? This is where you and I differ on what we get out of this show. Right. And the way we kind of of predict coming. For me, this was a return to form for season one kind of feel of where I finally was able to find and feel the through line. Each episode previously felt like enjoyable, good, fun, but very self-isolated, very self-contained without really much connecting to an overarching plot for the season. This brought a lot of those threads together and delivered an effectively dramatic episode in a way I very much enjoyed. It wasn't in all the funniest episodes, certainly wasn't the most fun, but I found it probably the most impactful one yet in a lot of ways. Yeah, I mean, yeah, you alluded to it. I mean, I watched the show for the comedy for the most part, and I felt like the comedy was definitely taking a backseat this episode. Not to say there wasn't funny moments. I feel like Roy was peak Roy this episode. Oh, yeah. Shout out to my guy Roy carrying the episode from a comedic standpoint, but it certainly written wasn't the funniest by, episode. Written by Roy, too. Oh, wow. How about that? Well, number, no wonder he got a lot of lines that he's putting a lot of lines in for himself. Okay, well, that's our initial thoughts of the episode. We, of course, will go into much more. And our segments, we have segments galore here on the Lasso Lowdown. We'll start with Biscuits, Biscuits with the Boss, where Spencer brings a dessert to the podcast. I do Tea Time with Lee, where I attempt to convince our American audience that tea is not quite as bad as Ted thinks it is. Then we'll go into a recap, which Spencer leads every week heroically, banging out the notes, walking step-by-step step through the recap. Then we'll go into train wreck of the episode and the Sports Center Top 10, where we talk about 10 things we liked about the episode every week, not 11, not 9, 10 on the nose every week that we liked about the episode. And we conclude with a very sincere segment. And this week, look, it's got to be sincere. This is a pretty serious oh, episode. Some heavy stuff was being addressed, and that is Ted, Life Lessons with Ted, where we talk through a few life lessons that the episode taught us. Before we get into all that and more, a little housekeeping here on the Lasso Lowdown. If you enjoy hearing me and Spencer Gab, you like hearing us talk, we have plenty of content out there. Just go to your favorite podcast platform, whatever you're listening to this podcast in right now, type in Mangum Talks. Those are the keywords, M-A-N-G-U-M, Mangum Talks. All the plethora of our pods will pop up. We've done a Game of Thrones recap. We've done a general television recap, which included Succession, Mandalorian, on and on and on. We have a general interest podcast called Mangum Talks. We have a lot of stuff out there. If you like listening to us talk, just type in Mangum Talks 
and listen away. But the issue at hand here today is season two, episode six. Spencer, are you ready to get into Biscuits with the Boss? I am. Uh, this time around, I decided to go with an old classic. It, when you were growing up, did your parents have a favorite dessert? Not your favorite dessert, but your parents' favorite dessert that you always see, them, always saw them enjoy or, or would pick if they had an option. Yeah, my dad snuck ice cream at night, but his favorite uh, dessert was banana pudding, that southern banana pudding oh. with the vanilla wafers, yeah. I, I haven't had good banana pudding with wafers in years. That is a solid choice at all times. Very good. Well, this time around, I went with my mom's favorite choice. She always loves them. Solid deli black and white cookies. Oh, my gosh. Bringing the world together. Did you see that Seinfeld episode? No, I actually I you, actually you've... did not watch Seinfeld when it was on. Well, Spencer, let me explain it to you. You have the black. Please. You have the white. You have the black, the white. You're bringing the world together with, oh, <laughs> with the black and white cookie. Great. It's a great Seinfeld episode on that one. Well, I, 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 my mom loves them. I, I'm, I'm quite fond of them, too. They're very much a bakery staple, and I'm going to enjoy a couple of them over the course of this episode. Nice. Black and white cookie. Yeah, you're right. Well, it's a bakery staple. I also feel like it's a deli staple. I feel like if yeah. you go to like a traditional Jewish deli with all the like mayonnaise-based salads and the pickled everything <laughs> and the jars of stuff and the mm-hmm. potato chips from companies that you didn't know existed, there's always the black and white cookie there. Always a solid choice. I like that one, Spencer. Nice nice pick this week. My, my mom's from New York, from Long, Long Island area. Ah. It was just a staple of whatever, sto- whatever corner store she'd go into, there'd always be a fresh basket of black and white cookies there. Which would explain the said. Seinfeld, right? Because that's very yes. much a New York-based New York show. Um, cool. All right. Black and white cookies here on the uh, Biscuits with the Boss segment. All right. I'm going to go into Tea Time with Lee. This week, Spencer, Please. I've got a tea that is very popular out there. I don't think I've ever covered it before, and I'm not sure I've ever gotten your take on it. It's called Moroccan Mint Tea. It's I've never had it before. mint-flavored green tea that is a blend of uh, traditionally Chinese gunpowder tea and uh, obviously a lot of mint and a lot of random herbs i mean some some companies will put like some floral stuff some citric stuff um you know it it can take a lot of flavors it's kind of a mashup between a traditional caffeine based like you know tea from the tea plant and then more of those Mm -hmm. herbal teas that you drink more for the flavor or some sort of other you know benefit that you know you can you can argue about what the benefit is but that mashup of like a traditional tea and an herbal tea morocco mint tea is that so the the tea brand i have for you this week is called artful tea very solid very great sleek website too if you're looking to for some online ordering for tea artful tea <laughs> is the way to go just just a little fyi for you i was very impressed with the the website but spencer every week i always have a reason why i bring you the tea why do i bring you moroccan mint tea well it's because Tell mint me, tea sir. Mint tea traditionally has been used to relieve stress and anxiety. So, oh, there are a few characters that could that could really appreciate that this episode. So, if you're having some, if you're having a bad day, you know your wheels are spinning, you just can't get right, can't find that equilibrium. Maybe settle down, couple big breaths, some ooh-ahs, and a little Moroccan mint tea might go a long way. So, there you go on Tea Time with Lee Moroccan Mint Tea. Nice choice, perfectly in theme. All right, now, here we go. With our proper desserts, with our proper tea, are you ready for the recap, sir? I am fired up and ready for the recap. Let's do this. All right. The episode starts 45 seconds in because we have to have the necessary advertisements for every other Apple Plus show. Are you getting the same Jason Momoa show every time now lately? Uh, yeah, with Batista from of WWE fame. This Shout out that show. That show looks great, man. Those two guys just beating the hell out of each other for an hour. Sign me up. It, 
I don't know exactly what it is, other than it appears to be blind barbarians in a blasted hellscape going at each other. And, you know, I'm in. I'll try it. We'll yeah. see how that goes. Love to see Cal Drogo still getting work. Oh, man, man's, got, man's had a hell of a career after Game of Thrones. He's getting a lot of work on a lot of different things. Doesn't take a day off, that guy. My God, Absolutely. the muscles on him. Woo. <laughs> well... We begin with one of our very few songs this episode. This was not a song-rich episode, but where it's Dancing Shoes by the Arctic Monkeys as we see Richmond kicking ass. Woo-hoo. Winning a game with Jamie Tart doing a pass to Danny Rojas for the win, capping off what appears to be a four-game winning streak. Count them, four. Uh, which everyone, everyone, team, players, fans, media personalities are all crediting to the Roy Kent effect. Woohoo, Roy Kent effect. Yeah. We see this over the course of the episode. Everyone is giving Roy the reliant share of the credit for the drastic turnaround in their fortunes that they've seen since he joined the team as an, apparently an assistant coach. They've got a game coming up, though, against the Tottenham Hotspurs, a real team, uh, which everyone's predicting the Spurs. I love that they just refer to them as the Spurs. That's fun. To win the game. It kills me to say, but Tottenham are a top, top, top side. <sighs> yes, well said. Uh while that we're seeing those media reports, there is a very fit man in Rebecca's kitchen making her tea. His name is Luca, and in his words, he's presently wearing nothing but a smile. Got a question for She's you, Spencer. In- mm-hmm. Whenever you see like a good-looking dude, um, you know, like a really good-looking guy, is there a, a, a normal insult that you throw at him? I mean, I'm still like 12, so uh, when, you, when you see a, re- I'm wondering, you see like a really good-looking guy, is it like a casual? No! You don't have an insult that you normally throw at these people. No, no, I don't. But I'm very curious to find out what your 12-year-old insecure insult is. I attack their shoes. Oh, yeah. <laughs> you know, I'm a big, you know I have a, you know, I have a mean shoe game, so I'm always like, oh, okay. Mm. Reeboks, good choice, bro. <laughs> Let's consider what really matters for a moment. He's Perfect. one of those guys who have crappy shoes. We can speak in what? shorthand for the rest of the pod. <laughs> if I say a guy has crappy shoes, you know what I mean? <laughs> well, this guy's presently not wearing any nor anything else, while Rebecca is up in bed in a... Loose state of dress, practically Ooh, undressed. Look out, Spencer. Oh, uh, she's chatting still on banter with LDN152, discussing their shared beliefs in Bigfoot and Guardian Angels, which is an odd series of conversations, but Rebecca is smiling ear to ear throughout them. Uh, she checks in on whether Luca is wearing anything, which is said he's not, uh, while also asking him where, whether he believes in Guardian Angels. He confirms that he has no opinion on the point by asking whether she means Guardians of the Galaxy. Ugh. Good Did you see that? Gra- Man, that actress is so good. Did you see that look that she gave? Like, Ugh, what am I supposed to do with that? Like, it literally, like, I felt like she said, what am I supposed to do with that? Yeah. It, the words were not uttered. The face expressed it all. Yeah. Uh, she demands that he get dressed because her cleaning lady is coming. However, before that can occur, there is a surprise appearance of Rebecca's mother, who seems impressed at Luca and both of them completely undisturbed by this course of events with him making a friendly offer of tea and her checking to see whether that includes biscuits uh, Rebecca arrives uh, and her mom confirms that she has left her husband Rebecca's father Luca is immediately supportive though confused on whether she's actually the cleaning lady too uh, who then actually arrives and makes the very valid decision to start cleaning in a different room than this one what with start the study Absolutely. Our intro starts at exactly... Do you Do you know the actress who plays Rebecca's mom? Do you know what else she's been in? No, I don't remember. I bet she looked familiar to you. I, vaguely so, but what else What else can I place her in? The succession mother. So the actual mother, a mother of Kendall and all those kids, the actual mother. She's only in like one episode. 
I remember her, though, now. Thank you. I never would have connected those two shows together. I miss Succession. It has been too long since we watched that show. Me too. And uh, hang tight. Uh, we might have an announcement on our Succession coverage here toward the end of the, the season of, of Ted Lasso. So hang tight, folks. That's what we well, call a tease Ted- in the business. <laughs> well, with Ted Lasso, we start at, our, our intro starts at the three-minute mark. So that's 2.15 counting the ads. So very short. Very short. Very short. Wanted to, wanted to check on your statistics in that regard. I know you've got the massive spreadsheet going, but this seems definitely below average. Yeah, so we have one episode that was like 148, So this was, but this was like number three, I think, of shortest. Mm. So yeah, very short cold opening. Well, leaving the intro behind, Ted arrives at the Richmond Stadium, and he appears to be in full Ted form. He is greeting everyone personally. He's making everyone smile. He's making laughing Liam laugh, who sounds hey, like a barking hey, seal when he hey, laughs. Hey. Is that a callback to the first episode of the season with Laughing Liam? It absolutely is, yeah. I love the consistency of the show with the jokes. That 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 makes me so happy when they tell a joke and it's a callback ten episodes later. Shout out. It also proves that if we find out a character's name, even if we're not meeting them at the time, we will meet them at some point because we know their name. Man, that theory of yours has held tight this entire ride. If you learn a character's <laughs> name, you're gonna you're gonna see more of them. Yep, we we did not learn uh, Rebecca's dad's name. Never going to meet him. Nope. Uh, Colin's coming out of another therapy session, seemingly continuing to get a lot of good out of it, and now repeating the maxim, I am strong, I am capable, and I am not a piece of shit, which Dr. Sharon reminds him he doesn't necessarily need to include the second part of that. (laughs) Uh, Ted greets Dr. Sharon, who clearly she's gotten a lot more used to Ted and the team and really opened up a bit. We see that a few times in this Mm -hmm. episode, which I... I appreciate that she's having her own arc off camera, too, in terms of getting used to letting her hair down a bit. Because though she d- does not respond to Ted's offer to explain what her weekend escapades were, she deals with it very pol- deals with his aggressive friendliness much more politely, and he, you know, chuckles and laughs it off and refers to her as being as mysterious as David Blaine reading a Sue Grafton novel at Area 51. Very mysterious. Is, absolutely. M for mysterious. Uh, <sighs> I'll have you explain who Sue Grafton is at a later point. <laughs> uh, again, Dr. Sharon deflects all this, but again detects that the kind of thing that Ted's offering seems to be Ted at kind of like a level 11 on the dial, a little bit element of force, like if it's aggressive teddiness, yep. and immediately takes that and says, well, if you ever want to talk, my door is always open for an appointment, which Ted, again, just laughs the offer, the offer off entirely. I talk all the time. Just let me follow you around for 10 minutes. After five, you'll tell me to hush my butt. Which is both funny and also kind of sad, because that's the exact process his wife apparently went through when it came to the, the, the style of Ted. Hey, I do want to point out one thing about Dr. Sharon. You, you made reference to it about how she's kind of opening up to the, uh, the team. That is one thing that I think is a bit of a misnomer for folks who don't engage mental health professionals, that... I think a lot of people have this like vision of like the sort of Freudian like you know glasses. You sit on the couch and they're sort yeah, of like a stolid wall. Like that's not been my experience. I've seen psychiatrists my whole life. That is not my experience. Most of them will open up to you and they become like a person. Like you kind of learn about them too. And I love that that Dr. Sharon like is portrayed as a person, right? Like once she gets yeah. comfortable with you, she'll make jokes. Like she may even go to a drink, go out for a drink with you, and that's totally cool. I I, I appreciate that. Right. She doesn't go to, she doesn't go from zero to 60 in terms of, you know, open friendliness immediately. She's not a freaking electric car, but she eventually works her way there. Yep. Uh, 
Ted, walking down the hall, leaving that conversation behind, immediately runs into, runs into uh, Roy and Keeley and talks about how he's shipping the two of them. Ah! The word shipping on Whoa! the show. Oh, Spencer, I'm, my head exploded. I've said the word shipping every single podcast that we've done on this mm-hmm. show. And, Since uh, I taught you that word. I feel like the writers are just listening to me out there in the ether. That was so cool. Um, and it was uh, interesting that he, the way he did it too, because like, um, you know, it looked like Roy was like, you know, he had Keeley up against a wall. It looks like they were about to yeah. do some, some business. And, uh, and Ted <laughs> clearly appreciated it. I'm shipping you too. Very, very solid moment. Again, progression of how much everybody's getting used to Ted. Roy just kind of good naturedly tells him, um, threatens to call HR for Ted's comments, but it's clearly he's just doing it as a kind of joke. Yeah, well, tell Mr. Puff and stuff I said hello. That's a joke for people born in the mid to late 70s. Which went completely over my head. I'm hoping you're going to address this on Sports Center Top 10 as to who the hell HR Puffin stuff was. I just may. Hang tight. I'll, I'll leave that one for you then. Uh, Ted says, as you said, says that joke is entirely not intended for us, so fine. That may be, in my opinion, his most esoteric joke yet, having looked up what the hell that was. Pretty weird. Yeah, pretty strange. He arrives in the coach's office and they discuss... The FA Cup. Now, will you let me take this one in terms of explaining what the hell the FA Cup was? Yeah, absolutely. You, it's so interesting. We, we started this podcast, and I, I like t- like framed myself as a sports guy, but you're totally taking all the sports stuff, and, and that's that's cool, man, because you, 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 hey, you, hey. you got it, and you're running with it. I do want to just give a plug. I know that for a lot of people, watching the show on subtitles is not ideal, right? It can be hard to follow for people. The, the mm-hmm. subtitles can be distracting. I get that, and if you don't like it, that's cool. But I will say that if you do watch it on subtitles, you catch jokes that they throw in that you would not catch otherwise. Because when they cut to the office, Ted walks in, Nate is talking to Beard, and Beard has his hands on his face as if he like just woke up from a hangover or he is just like mm-hmm. is totally out of it. And Nate is telling him the most boring story about tortellini. <laughs> They changed it, man. They, they changed and, it. And, and then they changed the tortellini. Like, it, it's, it, it really made me... I never yeah. would have caught it without the subtitles, but it's so funny, like, getting that little, like, window into when Ted's not there and Nate comes in and Beard's like, how was your weekend? And Nate just bores the shit out of him with some dumbass story. Yeah. <laughs> Very well, funny I, stuff. I, I, it, it's really a good call right there because there's several times where characters, they either say things off camera, they say things under your breath, under their breath that you wouldn't even be able to detect. Like practically Nate's mumbling this when, when Ted walks in. Right. Which it's a really funny, but it would probably be missed if you were just listening into it. Yep. All right. F.A. Cup. Now, fire away. F.A. Cup sounds like the most unique thing ever. We have no equivalent of this, it seems like, in the U.S. of where this is an open annual knockout football competition in England and Wales of where Every single club takes part. I mean every. Not just the professional clubs. Not just all 92 professional clubs in the Premier and English Football Leagues. I mean all of the several several hundred semi- and non-professional clubs in the National League also take part. How many do I mean? In the 2011-2012 to 2012 season, they set a record when 763 teams took part in the FA Cup. What the hell? That is the scale of this thing. Everyone's doing this. The way it works is that the several hundred semi or non-professional teams all compete first. They're the opening part of the cup. They narrow it down to 32 of them. Those 32 then first compete against the 48 lower level professional teams and then followed by the championship and premier league teams. Going through all of this through 12 randomly drawn rounds before then arriving at the quarterfinals, the semifinals, and then the finals to wrap up this tournament. Now, 
in history, a non-professional team has actually won once. Back in 1901 with the Spurs. The Tottenham Spurs are the only, were, the, were at the time a non-professional team and the only one in history to actually win the FA Cup. They've since become a professional club since then. Which is uh, great that they referenced Tottenham in this episode. That, that seems man. very intentional. Yeah. In the modern era, one non-professional team, Lincoln City, made it all the way to the quarterfinal in 2017. Though, no team below the championship level has ever in the modern era reached the final. And as discussed in the show, a non-premier team has, only, has won it eight times, though the last time was in 1980 with West Ham United, who is notably a premier level team now. It's also a misleading stat because the Premier League didn't exist in 1980. They only were added in 1992, when the essentially the top levels of the English division just broke off to make their own damn thing. So, it is a massive thing. I am as excited as Ted is. As he refers to it, it's March Madness tournament in the middle of the season featuring every team in England and Wales. It's David versus Goliath. It's Rocky versus Apollo. It's Steve Weeb versus Billy Mitchell, which is a Donkey Kong video game reference that I knew, and I was so amused to see that in Strong there. Strong one, yeah. Uh, and as Beard expresses, it's Pearl Jam versus Ticketmaster, which made me laugh my ass off. So it's, uh, it is very similar to March Madness, right? Because, I mean, I mean, it's not quite the level, right? Because it sounds like with this, you could conceivably, you and I, if we lived in Wales, could just pull a team together within three or four years, potentially have all the credentials or whatever to like compete in this thing. It sounds like anybody can kind of create an amateur team and eventually kind of pull it together. Um, but that does like kind of roughly equate to some of these like like Southwest it, Central Arkansas Christian Medical University that's like the 16 seed in the play-in game against like UNC, right? That, right. There is some level of that. I just don't like when he says David and Goliath. I think it's the it's even more. It's like squared, right? Yes. <laughs> the chasm is even bigger uh, in this. But I, I, th- I do think the best reference probably is to March Madness. Although I don't think in this. Can you imagine in America if we allowed amateur teams to compete in March Madness? It would be insane. It'd be nuts. And the, but you'd root for them. Good God, would you, would you root for them if you saw that kind of thing going in there? Yeah. First of all, the kids from Rucker Park would win the whole thing. I just want to shout that out. <laughs> That is well known, absolutely. Yeah, look out, Duke. So it, it is definitely March Madness, just on a much more massive, everyone take part kind of scale. But I'll just, tell you what you this has s- made me want to do is watch the damn FA Cup. Oh yeah, this sounds great. You'd be rooting for every no-name team every single year and having a blast doing it. I think I might watch can, it, yeah, for sure. Can, can you imagine how much, like, the fans of Lincoln City, who I don't know much about, but other than they were, you know, a non-professional team. Them making it to the fucking corner final in 2017. Can you imagine how much the world just probably went insane when that happened? Yeah, absolutely, man. Yeah, I, I totally get it. Yeah, for sure. Well, Ted goes through all these examples. Everybody's excited. Higgins pops up with some football knowledge as he's continuing his flaneur kind of waves roaming around Flaneur. the water. Yes. Uh, as this is happening, though, Beard reveals that he and Jane got back together, which is... You know, oh, yeah. it's great. Yeah, yeah it's yeah. lovely. Yeah, yeah, good for you. Great for great. you, too. Uh, Higgins cuts through all that polite babble and asks, you know, is this really a good idea? Which immediately everyone, that, that sound occurs as the record scratch happens. <laughs> and everyone just kind of turns and looks at Higgins as if he just kind of casually waltzed into traffic. Beard cuts off that conversation to deal with a series of missed calls that he's already received this morning. And Higgins immediately calls an emergency meeting of the Diamond Dogs. Roy exits as fast as possible to, the, to that noise starting to occur. Roy's interaction with the Diamond Dog is so great. Nope. Nope. Just <laughs> hey, gone. Roy, would you like to sit it? Nope. It's gone immediately. 
Uh, Higgins tries to mount the window, which uh, doesn't go particularly well, as Nate proceeds to offer that, you know, maybe you should just go around. But man's committed, doesn't work out, decides to do it from the window itself. Dukes of Hazard style, right? You'd probably call it Earls of Risk. I was actually really worried that Higgins was going to try to run through the window there. He looked like he was bracing up to do it. <laughs> Bad move, Higgins. Higgy bottoms. <laughs> not a good one. Uh, Higgins, you know, having them now assumed their positions, Higgins expresses that he's not too sure about Beard and Jane being, you know, healthy together. And he's really disappointed that no one backed him up when he tried to point it out. Uh, Ted tells him that you should never say anything in that kind of situation, offering the story of him of things going wrong for him with a long-term friend and thereafter being banned from doing best man speeches in the future. Yeah, it's funny. He's like, <laughs> she's a bit of a pill, so I told him exactly what I thought. And that's the last time I ever gave a best man speech. Uh, yeah, well done. Well, well done, Ted. There. Nate, too meanwhile, try, yeah, Nate, meanwhile, tries to be uh, outwardly supportive to all relationships because his dad never was and apparently sabotaged his very first relationship he ever brought home. A little Tyrion Lannister which, situation. I didn't, you know, I wasn't reading between the lines to anticipate that level of scale when he said sabotage the relationship, but yeah, maybe <laughs> it's implied. Uh, Ted brings it home with the idea that, you know, you really shouldn't get up all in anyone else's business. And Higgins eventually kind of sort of agrees, but we see that throughout the episode, it takes a physical toil on him to see a friend doing something that he feels is dumb, dangerous, or harmful, and not say anything about it. Beard returns and reveals that Jane's roommate has thrown her out and that she's now living with him, which oh, is wonderful news. Uh, meanwhile, there's a practice on the pitch where Jamie is being stupid. Barking means it's over, right? Absolutely. Yes. Uh, Jamie's being a team player and Colin is damaging cars in the parking lot with wayward kicks. Coach Nate offers what would best be described as his patented abuse, because that's apparently all Coach Nate really has to offer that we've seen so far. Well, you called this, right? You said when he became a coach, it would be very interesting to see his interaction specifically with Jamie or Colin. Um, yeah. And look at it does seem that he's like, at least in this episode, kind of picking on Colin a little bit, because he shouts out, come on, Colin, you dolt. And like, it, Roy even looks at him like, what? Why are you? Yeah, it's not Yeah, helpful. it's too much, yeah. Roy, meanwhile, offers focused, constructive advice from a football player perspective what a to coach, Colin man. and he to the entire really team. Seems it, really good. Immediately, as, I, as Isaac says, this is the Roy Kent effect. Everyone's jazzed. Everyone's focused. They're taking his advice as it's meant and taking it to heart. It's working out great. Uh, Jamie notably, well, actually, one, one thing that seems important, when Isaac refers to it as the Roy Kent effect and everybody celebrates... Roy kind of looks a little bit embarrassed to be the focus of attention. And did you see Nate in kind of fuzzy, in kind of fuzzy silhouette over his shoulder? How he reacted? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Nate got pissed. Nate continually, whenever he hears about the Roy Kent effect or everybody celebrating Roy, doesn't like it. Well, pissed, but also like it seems like disenchanted, right? Like sort yes. of like a it, it bursts his balloon a little bit. Well, that's a better way of putting it. He seems like he's both annoyed by it, but also seems like he's being just like he feels like he's being the third wheel. He's like he's being left out of things now. He's not. He doesn't really feel like he's part of the coaching staff. Uh, Jamie also feels notably left out because he didn't get any advice. So he specifically comes over and asks, you know, Roy, is there anything that I could do? Any advice you have for me? Roy doesn't give him a damn word. Just gives him the cold shoulder and turns away. All right, let's go again. Uh, Ted reminds him that he's actually supposed to coach, you know, the entire team, to which Roy says, oh, that's fine. I'll take the 4% pay cut. I'm not coaching that one. So I did the math. That would mean there's 25 players on this team, right? That's, 
I, yeah, I actually appreciate the math. That seems probably about right from what we've really seen about the main team and the reserve team. It does. I was just, I was just sort of impressed that Roy did the math that quick. <laughs> oh, no, I, I'm willing to bet Roy actually did the research of where, okay, I'm actually not going to coach this one player. What effect would that have on my pay? 4%? I can, I can live with that. Yep. Uh, Rebecca calls from her window the way she sometimes does to invite Ted to lunch. Canceling Ted! Do you have lunch plans? The way she did well, that was really funny. She's a funny actress. She's great. Yeah, but one thing, unfortunately, though, she's interfering with is secret sandwich switcheroo. Which, I'll be honest, that just sounds fun. I'd want to participate in secret secret sandwich switcheroo. I really do too. I hope I find a coworker who'll do this with me. Well, I assure you, if we ever find a way of doing this together, I'm not making you a BLT sandwich. I've never understood the appeal of that sandwich. I love the BLT. I'm a big fan. I like bacon on sandwiches. I just don't, I feel the need to include other things other than bacon is my only meat. I feel yeah. like I'm mostly just eating lettuce and tomato. Yeah, I like that though. But here's my here's my thing on the BLT. is you, It is not a one sandwich situation. The BLT requires oh, multiple okay. sandwiches. That, that is a very fair call. It's a component of the lunch. It is not the only thing you're eating. Absolutely. Yeah, for sure. Uh, so inviting Ted out for lunch with Keely, Rebecca, and Rebecca's mom who, as we see from the window, is kind of in the process of rediscovering her independent self with no small amount of alcohol and embarrassing her daughter in the process. She seems kind of nuts. Uh, as Ted expresses, yeah. boy, I love meeting people's moms. It's like reading an inf- instruction manual as to why they're nuts. Put that on a that t-shirt. Is such a, that is such a wonderfully accurate line right there. As we see here, when Beard promptly, I best the best term to describe what Beard does is screeches at the team. Mm-hmm. And Ted texts in on how Mrs. Beard is doing, who apparently has grown full-blown QAnon, which they both agreed kind of tracks. Yeah, I know the knowing sort of nod from Ted. Yeah, it sounds right. Yeah. Actually, it actually sounds right for an eventual Beard path, if I'm being honest. Wow, that's an interesting route to go there. Like Beard at like 65, like becoming one of yeah. those real conspiracy theories. He's already about a certain percentage of the way there, just not quite in that category yet. He likes crazy. But the other thing he likes is football novels or football or, or football guides and histories. And as we see back in the coach's office, he's reading the truly famous to the point I've heard of it, Football Against the Enemy by Simon Cooper, yep. which, if you don't know, is a classic 90s book on the subject of soccer being football, being the lingua franca around the world and the kind of political and cultural impact it has in countries across everywhere. Uh, Ted throws him a sandwich, sans horseradish due to Beard's allergy to horses and radishes. Oddest confusion on Ted's part there. Oh, sorry uh, about that. And they discuss the value, and uh, he discusses the value of being buzzed while doing creative work with Keeley when he gets a call. Seems like a great idea all around. I kind of disagree, but you know, uh, Keeley does her. Yeah, how uh, would you deal with this? But you, you work in a law firm. You probably have dealt with this. Where a lawyer said, like, somebody working with you just goes, hey, you know, I need to be a little bit drunk for that work I'm about to do. I'm in the law. I wish I'd say I haven't heard that conversation before. Um, it does tend to have me a little bit concerned when somebody needs alcohol to do their job. Yeah, I'd probably do the Roy Kent. I'd be calling HR. <laughs> Man, I, yeah, yeah, probably a good call. Uh, this is one of the moments, though, where we start to see this may be a bit of a darker episode. Uh, where Ted gets a call. Great call. And it's seemingly from uh, his son's school system. Yep. We, we don't know what it is at first. Ted seems very concerned then seems a little bit less concerned, and then seems like the situation has resolved. What we find out what it is, is that Ted's son forgot his lunch when he was going on a school trip. 
this is not a five alarm kind of emergency, but it seems to really affect Ted that he's not there to help, even for something like this, and that it's his wife, sorry, ex-wife, he gets Oof. that one wrong, Oof. Uh, who instead is there to assist. As I said, this seems like on the surface is kind of a minor matter, but it's Ted really takes it hard, perhaps because of his inability to help with being so far away and being removed from those aspects of his son's life. Perhaps something deeper and darker we're going to find out about in later episodes. Hard to say. So I'd like to point out something is that when he's having this conversation, he is having an abnormal reaction to a call about his son forgetting his lunch. He is getting way more emotionally involved. And it's to the point that there's a specific shot of Keeley, who is the man whisperer, really looking concerned for Ted. (laughs) Yeah, Really looking Keely concerned in, for him. Yeah. And Keely, so it, in particular. Yeah, it makes me feel like they're giving us a little hint that he's he's not okay, right? Um, yeah. Because like before these types of breakdowns, which Ted has at the end of the episodes, I, I firmly believe most people have think like th- there are hints that this thing is building. And this is one of mm-hmm. our, our small hints that, that is really not okay with Ted. Because can you imagine Ted in a good mood getting this call? Like he would have made a big joke about the fact he forgot his lunch. He may ask his son on the uh, on the phone to like kind of joke about it. For some mm-hmm. reason, this feels like the wall's closing in on him. Um, and I feel like that's a little abnormal. Well, it seems like it's adding to the, cluster, the collection of things that are just festering inside him. This is the proverbial straw that broke the camel's back rather than itself a disaster. And yep. how he takes it, as you said, everyone in the room looks concerned, particularly Keeley, who's really got him a very concerned glance. Mm-hmm. Jamie arrives and demands that they all order Roy to start coaching him immediately. How would you summarize the response from the coaching staff and Keeley to that request? Oh, you want me to tell Roy Kent what to do? That's a great idea. Yeah, he's going to love that. Yeah, I'll totally drop into one of our mini conversations where Roy talks to me about his life and asks for my advice. Nate, uh, out! Yeah, just perfect line to exit on. Everyone enjoys a great laugh. The idea here is you don't just tell Roy to do shit, particularly not from like, any of their perspectives. Philistines, I'm asking for help here. Philistines. Uh, I love how much the misuse of that term just sets Beard off throughout the next scene. I love the consistency with Jamie. Like, this is another thing you get on the subtitles. Yeah. Is, like, if you're just listening to him, I think you have a sense that he mispronounces words and screws up references. To the extent that he does it, I don't think you know unless you're, like, following the subtitles. Because it's almost like every third sentence he screws something up. those not familiar, Philistines actually means, you know, culturally, artistically illiterate. So it's not really on point for the conversations that they're having. Uh, Ted advises that the two of them really just kind of need to woman up as manning up has clearly not worked in the past. And then kind of turns to Keeley for the scoop on Roy advice. I agree. Uh, that's kind of confusing as an answer to that question. Is that confusing? She clarifies. <laughs> uh that she, she's just just agreeing with Roy because it quickly dilutes his anger and kind of gets him on point with what the conversation you actually want to have. Uh, this is go, one uh, of those Roy- situations where I would say, Keely, that works for you. Like, I, I'm not quite sure I need advice from you how to deal with Roy Kent. I think I need advice from somebody Roy Kent doesn't like or doesn't have an opinion of. Not, not necessarily someone who looks like you. This is one of the things where Keeley clearly meant this as good advice, but was also in a hurry and so didn't really kind of tailor it to the situation. Right. Uh, Keeley and Ted leave. Beard and Jamie kind of enjoy a bit of a stare off as we kind of both we and they realize 
they've basically never interacted before. Jamie walks away. Beard encourages him to look up what the hell Philistines actually means. We cut to apparently the only place in town where people apparently eat. The pub. The pub. Where they always go. Rebecca's mom delivers a rambling monologue on the subject of life and all of its various permutations and also leaving her husband while she was on the crapper. Uh, they encourage her to do a TED talk with how inspiring the speech was. because I agree, because right now you're getting a whole heap of TED. Listen. <laughs> while the fan trio in the background are yelling about something on the screen, which we later find out was the Great British Baking Show. Oh my God. May- <laughs> favorite part of the episode, maybe? Maybe favorite part of the episode for me? Temper, Temper your, your chocolate, you twat. <laughs> what a so great, funny. I love the idea that there are people in some British pub somewhere watching it and being like, oh my God, the, the cake, you know, the, 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 didn't it. set or, you know, you, you broke this, the too soggy bottom or whatever. Oh man, that, that, the idea that there's like sports hooligans, uh, watching that show makes me very happy. It really, really builds into my theory that all British people are about a half second away from turning into Gordon Ramsay, and this just confirms that entirely. Uh, Ted is, gets uh, reminded, we, both we and Ted get reminded that it was his wife that did the leaving rather than him, Oof, which duh. brutal line from Rebecca's mom there that even Rebecca flinches at. But luckily, uh, Deborah, which is mom's name, gets a call from her psychic because the psychic had promised to call exactly when she needed her. What an inside baseball joke about how psychics work, right? Yeah. Something big will happen in your life in two weeks. There you go. There's my yep. advice. I saw it in the keep cards. It, keep it open-ended and let them fill in the blanks. It's all how, how psychics work all the damn time. Uh, Rebecca clarifies to the group when her mom leaves that her parents actually do this every couple years. The dad acts up, Deborah leaves, and then he buys her an expensive environmentally conscious gift and they're back together in a week. Boy, did I see Tesla coming a mile away on that line. Yeah. Uh, The scene ends with a boisterous rendition by both May and the fan trio of Poor Little Cake, Soggy Bottom. As they all proceed to dance with it. I love, this episode reiterates, that May, as much as she's much more serious than the fan trio is, just dances and parties on with them whenever they're having fun, too. Well, she turned around and showed her butt to Soggy Bottom, which I thought was a really gamer move. Yes, it was. Well done on her part. Uh, Beard, meanwhile, is back in the office, sadly eating all of the secret sandwich switcheroo sandwiches by himself when he gets a FaceTime call, and it is notably a FaceTime call, because this is an Apple Plus show, from Jane, where they demonstrate the continued aspects of their weird relationship by discussing suicide and serving as cushions, and she reveals that she's going out to coffee with an old friend, male friend from university, who's also an underwear model who wants to show her his latest portfolio. Because that's a thing that happens. Question for you on this. Did she call, did Jane call him just to tell him that she's going to, because she called him. Yeah, it's not like she's saying, you know, we can't do the plans that we had going or anything. It's it really like, like she, hey, Beard, just want to tell you, go into coffee with an underwear model anyway. That's all I got for you. Let that fester. I don't know enough about their relationship to know whether this is normal, but based on Beard's reaction, this seems like a new kind of thing. Because he doesn't seem like he reacts well to it. And also notably, Higgins, who's listening in from his, you know, weight room office, again seems to have a very serious case of indigestion upon hearing this. Yeah. We saw Higgins do this back in season one, too, of when, you know, things get too much for him. 
that's the kind of reaction that he has when he sees friends taking this path. Or you're, his own guilt starts to manifest. You're making that noise again. Yes. Uh, while this is going on, Jamie runs into Roy and immediately tries to follow Keeley's advice. Score a one to five, Lee. How well does this advice go? One. Solid pretty, one pretty, right there. Pretty poorly for Jamie. Well, it depends on your perspective, because if you're Roy, it went a six. <laughs> it went really well. <laughs> Roy, this is manna from heaven. This is He had no way of knowing his day would go this good other than to have Jamie now repeat that he's an ugly, ugly boy with bad hair. Didn't know he'd get that kind of boon. Cheers. I enjoyed that. They immediately get into a fight over building bridges, or Jeff Bridges, uh, causing Ted to have to intervene. They both confront Roy over the fact that, you know, actually, Jamie is kind of serving as the more mature person in this particular argument. It's and true. I'm being super mature, you big, dumb, hairy, baby twat. You're doing so well before then, Jamie, but, you know, you're still probably coming across as the more mature here. More importantly, though, he honestly just wants to get better, and that if you have a means of helping him, he wants to hear it from you. And this is Jamie being kind of vulnerable when he says this. His shoulders are slumped, he's looking down... He's really honestly just wants Roy's advice because he knows Roy can give him good advice. I mean, it's kind of hard to argue with Jamie here because is even though he's like throwing in insults and actually like physically fighting Roy, he is very consistent this entire episode. I simply want you to give me advice. And when Roy gives him advice, he takes it. No questions asked. And this is one of the things where Roy's a little bit late to the party about seeing how far Jamie's come. He yeah. really just kind of sees mm-hmm. Jamie is still a bit of an asshole, is even a little bit disappointed by the direction that he's gone in as a player. And so he doesn't really know that Jamie's actually matured to the point that, no, he'll accept your advice, he'll take it, and he'll get better as a result. Because he's a, actually a team player now. Which is why Roy needs a Ted, right? To, yes. Roy, Roy, obviously a very great addition. Roy can affect happening. Shout out. But he does mm-hmm. need a Ted because he can get stuck in these ruts with, with certain ideas or people or whatever. And Ted is the kind of change agent who can pull him out of it. Well, this is the thing of where Ted's the generalist kind of person that brings everybody together and forms the kind of glue that holds the team together. He's not the specialist. He can't really focus too much on helping the players with their individual skills. He doesn't really focus much on beard and individual strategy. He is the overarching linchpin by which the team is united rather than somebody that's really necessarily in the weeds for these kind of things. Right. So it's a necessary series of coaches that work together well. Roy eventually concedes and tells Ted that he's the one that kind of actually fucked up here. Because, Whoa. yeah, it catches Ted off guard. And it's really that you the effect you've had on Jamie has been too much. I mean, kudos, you made Jamie a team player. He's passing now. That's great. But you're losing also what made Jamie so damn much of an ace in the first place. His ability to, in uh, Roy's words, be a prick. That you basically turned this into art form. You score goals... You get into other teams' fucking heads. You drive them up the fucking law like only you can do. And they need that. That, as much as it's great you do all these other team things now, every now and then, on a signal, when appropriate, we need you to be a prick. Now, notably, Roy being Roy, not going to tell Jamie what the signal is in advance. As much as both Roy and uh, Jamie and Ted are fascinated by what this is going to be, Jamie will just know it when he sees it. Roy walks away, both Jamie and Ted are more than a little bit confused, but Ted, as he always, just kind of returns to the belief sign and just counts that things will all work out. I took that as Ted, like, fe- feeling, like, completely inept as a coach. He's like, well, well I guess, yeah, guess you 
You guys heard him? Uh, anyway, up, up here, up here, belief. Like he, yep, yep. <laughs> like to your point, he he just has nothing from a coaching perspective. This is not his wheelhouse right now. It's going to work out fine. He's going to return to belief. Old maxims, they're great. But right now, he just doesn't know what's about to happen. Cut to Rebecca. Question for you, Spencer. If you, uh, mm-hmm. we, as covered on this podcast many times, you have a, a relationship you're in, long-term relationship. I think you're working over 10 years now, so shout out to you. Mm-hmm. If that relationship ended tomorrow, you wait, the, you wait the appropriate amount of time before you enter the dating pool, would you get on one of two dating applications to Messant or Banter? You have to choose no. one. No. Where do you go? No. no. Where do you go? Me, no. No. <laughs> I, I wouldn't even know how to start on Tumescent. Wouldn't even know where to go with that. That was never part of my you know, starting working out relationships at any point back, back 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 when I was dating. Utterly confused how that would even go. So I'm guessing banter because I most of my relationships have started with, you know, meeting each other, becoming friends and going from there kind of thing. Okay. I think I think the I think the right move here is Tumescent for the rebound. <laughs> banter for the actual later shot so you you start with two messing you bleed into oh, banter God, you... i feel like rebecca's mashing them up she's got her timelines mashed up she's, she's doing both at the same time yeah shout out to her but uh yeah there you go all right spencer would start with yeah. uh with banter i don't even even know what the concept of me on a rebound is haven't seen it before wouldn't know what it is if you find me on straight up two messing call the friggin authorities because something's gone wrong in my brain not gonna do uh, that going to watch it uh with popcorn well, particularly if I'm messaging hunky Luca as she is, uh, arranging for apparently another sexy sleepover. While LDN152 is messaging to thank her for being along with breakfast, one of the best parts of her day. Rebecca is getting fulfilled in all ways, both sexual and emotional, by two different people. Yeah. Uh, she pushes him to drop the damn anonymity, but he, in a roundabout way, politely refuses. Uh, her mom walks in and says that she's going to a book reading with her friends. Enter the arena, but bring a knife. Okay. Uh, that's Brene Brown. Um, Which I don't know. Okay. Yeah. So Brene Brown is like one of these, like, um, she has these books that are like, here is how you, um, here's how you fit in and master the corporate world. Like mm, that sort of thing. Mm-hmm. That's why the name is like, enter, enter the arena, but bring a knife. So I got a Brene Brown story. Please. Uh, as covered many times on this podcast, I work for a very large company, very much a corporate environment. Mm-hmm. And uh, I was at like a quote company retreat. By the way, most of these companies, when you hear the word retreat, if you're outside of the company, you think that we're in some sort of jungle somewhere doing like rope courses and trust falls. Not yeah. the case. What it really means is we've moved conference rooms across the hall <laughs> and we're there all day with some sort of bad catered box lunch. And we hear people tell us about like enough, like amorphous, ambiguous ways to improve our job. Synergy. So I had this, this happened to me one time. It was a multi-day retreat. God help me. And the person who was there was this outside consultant who, I don't know what her background was, but I was not impressed. And she was talking and she referenced Brene Brown and said, you know, Brene Brown, like, you know, the genius. She said this, the genius. <laughs> it was as if she was talking about Abraham Lincoln or something. She's like, you know, mm-hmm. you know Brene Brown. I mean, obviously, like four score seven years ago. And we had no idea who she was. I looked her up. I started reading Brene Brown quotes and texting them to some of my friends throughout the, the room. Oh, God. To the douchey oh Brene Brown quotes. And so we had a big text thread going throughout the room of douchey Brene Brown quotes. So that's my Brene Brown story. It's so funny that they brought her in. Um, and if you read Brene Brown and you get something from it, I just want to say 
good for you. Uh, I don't mean to insult Power you. To you. <laughs> I don't mean to insult you. Just not for me. And I'm not quite yeah. sure it's for the writers of this show either. Well, while she says that her and her friends are going to do this, she does offer that when Rebecca gets back home, she's going to make Rebecca's favorite. Shepherd's pie with cheese on top. God, that sounds good. You, can, have yeah. you noticed that Rebecca has the worst nicknames? Her mom calls her Sausage. Sausage. And her friends calls her Stinky. You know, I, I just think that that's like the burden of someone as attractive as her. Everyone wants to call her like asshole, you know? <laughs> like I, like I, like that's yeah. that's the female equivalent of saying you have bad shoes that I brought up earlier, right? Calling her Stinky and Sausage. That is, yeah, that is perfectly what that is. You, 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 you are too high on the societal totem pole for us to have friendly pet names for you. You get called Sausage from here on out. Very funny. By your mom. Uh, which I, I honestly is a nickname. Sausage, kind of cute. It's, it, it's clearly the affectionate kind of nickname parents have for you. And notably, while they share the shepherd's pies with cheese on top, they're going to finally have a good and proper mother-daughter chat. Mm. Which Rebecca seems willing to do at this point. So... How funny is it that it's the same actress who tells Kendall, hey, can't talk to you tonight on succession. Hey, can't talk to you tonight. I'll talk to you in the morning. We'll have a proper chat. Tells Rebecca, hey, talk to you later. We'll have a proper chat. Both situations leaves a note in bales. This is a woman who has a decided, it was a, a particular role in her, a particular job in her acting career. She's getting a little bit pigeonholed in it, but she's doing it well. Man, it's funny the parallel between those two characters. Uh, while that conversation is going down, the quarterfinal match of the FA Cup is starting to occur. Soccer AFC Saturday! Richmond, AFC Richmond versus the Tottenham Hotspurs. The fan trio is debating what they will do if Richmond actually wins this match, going from burning down the damn pub to agreeing under May's stare to channel their raging enthusiasm into ways to help their community. Power of May. While notably, in the stands, I think for the first time, Dr. Sharon sits among the fan base watching the game. In the game, uh, we get a good pass from Jamie leading to a sadly missed uh, shot from Danny, causing the game to remain tied at nil at the 30-minute mark. That's 0-0. However, yeah, nil, nil. Thank you, damn Americans. Uh, This overpassing lack of aggression by Jamie is starting to cause some problems, though, which leads Roy to stand up and deploy the signal. The signal. Ted looks nervous, but all four coaches are united. They've coordinated this before. And in unison, they all flip Jamie the bird. What a Roy's the best. You know, it's perfect. you couldn't have come up with anything else. And it's so fun. I love the dynamic because the announcers and we get the. By the way, brilliant thing the show does is you get the announcers the entire time. This whole scene plays. Yes. Very great. Uh, very great writing there. And the, both the the announcers and the crowd all think that it's a breakdown of the team in some way. That, that the team is fracturing, right? That the coaching staff is flicking off Jamie, that uh, chaos is ensuing. And and Jamie, to his credit, t- in no, one beat oh, gets yeah, it, gets yeah, it yeah. so fast and then completely flips the switch. Shut up. That was that was really good. Yeah, as much as the announcer are confused, I love that the fan base is just eating it up. They're all just flipping each other off in the bar. Everybody's having a great time. Uh, the announcers have said apologize for the fruity sign language. We've gotten to that point. But congratulate Ted on clearly demonstrating that he's become effectively immersed in English culture. (laughs) Jamie proceeds then to be just the prick that they need him to be. He pisses off another player, he gets open an expert skill, he draws a foul, and he sets up a penalty kick. 
A notably long-range penalty kick. Does it look like he's at friggin' midfield or near to it when he's taking this he's shot? He's pretty close, yeah. He's he's very close to midfield, and so close that, like, Ted immediately... By the way, Ted's, trick Ted's coaching, trick play. That's all he knows. Let's go to a trick <laughs> play. Loki's toe bottom, uh, toe bottom. Uh, upside down taxi. Let's do one of the one of the old ones. Um, and Roy, uh, the Jamie whisperer that he is, and the Rain Man counting the toothpicks falling on the floor, says, "We don't need a trick play. A little brick is going to score from here, from impossible distance." And that's just what Jamie does. It's a beautiful shot. He buries it in the upper part of the neck wow. from ungodly range. And the stadium goes insane. Jamie talk do 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 Jamie. Okay. Do 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 Jamie talk. He's earned it. He's earned it. Pisses me off as a little as a theme song, but he's earned this one. Ted goes to congratulate Roy in particular, which the fact that he goes to congratulate Roy in particular, the camera again focuses on Nate. Yeah, that was tough. Who again seems very much a mix between both annoyed and more importantly feeling very out of place. Doesn't know what his role is in this world and increasingly is uncomfortable in it. Although, I think it's time for a life lesson with Uncle Lee. Please. I'm not sure. I'm not sure I like this. I'm not sure how I like how this is being portrayed because I think that we're supposed to look at this and go, "Oh man, I feel bad for Nate." Like they're they're kind of I excluding didn't. him. I didn't. Okay, yeah, because me neither. Like I feel like in that situation. Roy did do something really good. I mean, that's why you brought him in to be an effective coach. And he did yeah. something that was very helpful to the team. Nate, as a participant in the coaching staff and someone, you know, who has a, is a stakeholder with the team should have celebrated with Roy. Instead, he's kind of excluding himself based on a desire to be the center of attention or be the guy who, who does the good thing. This is a right. moment for him to join in and celebrate with Roy as opposed to excluding himself because he wants to be the star. Right, and I think the episode does a good job ultimately at the end of framing that we're can, we can feel bad for Nate for this, but not for what Nate thinks we should feel bad for. We can feel bad that Nate is so insecure, is in such a, a kind of desperate moment in his life and you know identity, that he can't celebrate another person doing well. The only way he feels like he's succeeding in doing his job is to be over everybody else. And that if he's not feeling that way, he feels like he's, you know, worthless. And that's something that's that Nate sad. needs to work on for sure. Because, you know, he... It's an it's not a sustainable way to exist in any organization. Absolutely not. That you have to be the one with the good idea. You have to be the one that's the center of attention. Otherwise, you feel excluded. Right. It's you're asking to inevitably be disappointed and unhappy. You're yes. constantly balancing yourself on the knife edge. That's not how you should value how you should value yourself. It's not how you should view your role. Nate is clearly valuable to the team. Everybody thinks so, but he can never be comfortable in that unless he's the one controlling the conversation. We even see that. Exactly. We even see that when when he's trying to booster himself up, it's by abusing himself. This is a problem. This is a problem they've been setting up well on Nate all season, even a little bit of last season, too. And we're seeing it kind of continue to twist and morph in the darkness. Yeah, let's put the back, bat signal out for Dr. Sharon from the top yeah. of the towers. Let's put it out. <laughs> there is assistance that is needed here. Uh Roy and Jamie share a moment the only way the two of them can, and I appreciate the two of them are finally actually seemingly bonding over, you know, middle fingers, but it's still, it counts. Wasn't that cool? Yeah. And then, like, there's a moment where Jamie has just drawn the foul, and he gets the guy to, like, fight him, which, by the way, happens a lot in sports. You have, like, this, like, troublemaker who gets the other team, like, wanting to right. fight the, him. The and when it happens, kind of and when it happens, this guy always puts his hands up 
and looks at the ref like, what did I do? What did I do? That's Jamie's playing the role perfectly. But he does that. There's this quick moment where he sticks his tongue out in super douchey way and looks at Roy. And Roy rolls his eyes, but is smiling when it happens. I thought it was a great moment between the two of them. And this is one of the important things to show where Jamie's come. He's able to be a prick to the other team and not his own team. Yep. That's the thing he was never able to do before. He was just always a prick. As Ted expresses, at least he's our prick. As long as he can continue to direct the other team and still be a valuable member of this team and balance it out, the man's come a remarkable way. And I think we see that here in his celebration. That previously last season, whenever he scored, it was just him celebrating, yelling out, me, me. Here, the moment of celebration, he's getting mobbed by the team and they're all celebrating together. Jamie's a member of this team now. He's just also reminded by Roy that he can be an all-star too and those can actually still work together. Sometimes, when it's appropriate... Be it. Be a uh, and as you noted before, that damn theme song of him returns with everyone in the stadium chanting. The first half, ending in glorious fashion. Uh, everybody's everybody's having the time of their lives. It's unexpected. No one thought that Richmond would be here right now. Back up in the owner's box. Rebecca, who is looking great. Love that outfit that she has from here on out in this, in this episode. I love that you give yourself one an episode, and you you have to depend. Give it to me, please. You have to figure out which one it is where you call it out. This is the one <sighs> up in the owner's box looking fly. Thank you. Uh, she's checking her messages with her two bows, while Higgins continues to gag over the subject of Beard and Jane's relationship drama. I love that Rebecca immediately knows what he's gagging over. There's just no doubt in her mind that it's absolutely uh, Beard and Jane. She seems to have a somewhat more positive view of Jane, which is interesting, of where she refers to Jane as intense but adorable, like a tipsy Reese Witherspoon playing running charades. One of the more charitable reads on Jane I think we've had so far. So I think this is a reference to, do you remember when Reese Witherspoon's husband got arrested for a DUI a few years ago? Oh, wow. Yeah. Callback right there. Yeah. And Reese Witherspoon, which, by the way, talk about white privilege, got mad and jumped on the officer's back, screaming at him. You don't know. Like, you don't know who I am. Like, she's obviously drunk, too. She, like, physically attacked in, like, a sort of weird, childish way an officer. I feel like this is, like, a a tangential reference to that because that sounds like a Jane thing to do. Remind me, is she still in prison for assault on a police officer? I mean, because of course she would be, right? Uh, no, I, I believe the officer sat her down and said, ma'am, I'm going to need you to calm down. Uh, didn't shoot her, by the way. Didn't just shoot her. Uh, so completely ridiculous, right? But I think this is kind of like drawing a parallel there because I feel like the character they set up with Jane would totally do something like this. Would oh, totally just be completely absolutely. out of control um, in a sort of like 12-year-old bratty way. Rebecca also encourages Higgins the same way as Ted did. Just stay out of it, dude. And we're going to come back to our own views on this back, probably in Sports Center Top Ten or I was earlier. wondering when we were going to address this. Let's well, get, sports. We, yeah, yeah, one yeah, of my we'll points in Sports point, Center yeah. Top Ten. Okay, I'll say. Um, basically, tells him doesn't you don't help anything, and you're only going to be punished for it. Offering her story of the first time her parents split up, she supported her mom, and then when they got back together, she got blamed for it, and they didn't talk for nine months. Not Rebecca's fault. Completely inappropriate thing for her mother to have done. Yes, but also a predictable thing that has happened to me before when you take sides in a relationship snafu. This is a reasonable enough concern that they're offering here, even if it's also leaving out the idea of... We'll discuss it. Let's Let's let it ride. Let's let it ride. Higgins stubbornly persists that if you really care about someone, you should keep trying. While Keeley reveals that apparently Jane is so jealous that she followed Keeley home to check in on whether the fact that Beard was cheating on her with Ted, of all people. 
So you give yourself ah. you give yourself one uh, one Rebecca an episode. I give myself one Keely an episode. Did you see what Keely was wearing when she showed up in the in the box? Didn't process it too focused on Rebecca. Go on. She was wearing these weird colorful leggings with UGG boots and pigtails. She was absolutely <laughs> it looked crazy, but looked great. But like in a really weird like Instagram like give me the likes way. She she was like man. She was playing plain Keely. She dressed up as Keely. What we talked about characters being in an eleven all season. That outfit is Keely at an eleven. That is Keely Prime. Really liked it. Um. Back in the game itself, uh, the score is tied with now only 10 minutes left in the game, and the Spurs are focusing almost entirely on nullifying Jamie, having deemed him the appropriate threat that he is. Yep. Unfortunately, Ted, as we see, is in no position to assist his team, Uh as he is having a full-on building panic attack in the very much same style we saw last season, which, again, credit to this show how beautifully they portray an actual panic attack and someone going through it. Yeah. Yeah, it's pretty. It's pretty close, right? I mean, the, you know, you start you know, the the hearing of things, the the light kind of changing, the tick, well, the physical the, tick, the physical tick with the hands too. Yeah. Um, we also notably, while processing the crowd, while processing everybody else, we get two quotes, two repeated lines echoing in his head from people that aren't there from last season. Did you make a note of what those were? Jamie's dad. Jamie's dad. You're better than that, Jamie. And Ted's son. Just Jamie Tart, which is really interesting. That those lines are reverberating in his head. In his head, there's a lot to unpack. I feel there. Yeah. So I'll give my theory now. I mean, I think that Please. obviously it's real. You know, there's some some issue with his father that's unresolved, and so the the father son relationship is a, is a trigger for him. But I also think that there was a level of Ted losing some confidence in his ability to do the job because I think he felt like yeah. he had he's not done a good job by Jamie. Weirdly enough, when Roy turned to him and said, you fucked him up, we laughed in the moment. But I think this is meant to show us that 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 hit Ted a little hard. Um, well, it, it, and I it, wonder it that. Go, yeah, go ahead. Well, it hit that and it tied back to him being an absentee father to his son. And it connected back to those two threads of where the things that he's invested himself in a very fatherly role. He feels like he's letting the letting the people down. Yeah, because he, he has very much aligned himself as like a father figure for Jamie in absence of Jamie's father doing that role. And it, he feels like he probably has, has failed Jamie in some way. Um, I also which, wonder, which is not at all a fair read, but we can understand no, where it's no, coming from. Not at all. No, absolutely. Because as Roy pointed out, be a prick when it is appropriate, Jamie's ability to turn it on and off. You can completely tie to Ted Credit because to Ted. Yeah. he wouldn't, he wasn't able to turn it on and off before. It does make me wonder, and I guess we'll get into it later in the recap and maybe in sports center top 10, Spencer, I think we're, I think Ted's time as head coach of this team is on the clock. I'm not that sure he's it. long for being the head coach of this team. We've been promised a three-season arc, and I'm holding this fucking show to it. But if you look into this episode just in isolation, man, they seem to be foreshadowing the idea that Ted is entering his sunset phase. Yes. Passing off the torch to someone else, dumping everything he can to build this organization, and now stepping aside for the more specialists to take over. I don't believe that's going to happen. But man, do they give some... Well, we, we now know this show loves to throw out red herrings in a way we didn't really necessarily know before, so perfectly possible, but they are at least wanting us to have that idea. I think we're getting to Coach Shelby. God help us fucking all if that's the case, but yeah, we'll see. Um, uh, sorry, where, where was I going? Yes, 
He gets those things echoing in his head. Beard, I love that Beard, always conscious of his best friend, is the first one to notice the state that Ted's in. Turns to him, immediately asks, basically, are you okay, dude? Ted just says that he's got to go, citing vaguely his stomach, and does the locked-in, shoulders-down, head-facing-the-ground kind of waddle-slash-run out of the stadium. Um, it's leaving the pitch at a very precarious time. Everybody notices all seemingly look on him with a certain amount of sympathy, all kind of assuming stomach or health-related things, not really judging him too hard. But it very pointedly distracts everyone. The fans, the announcers, the players. At a very key moment. Which seemingly contributes to the Spurs scoring and tying it up in the final minutes. Oh, for fuck's sake, Lasso. The fan fan trio by that point blame him very directly, which I don't think is perfectly fair. Well, they don't know. It does at least... They they're obviously going to blame Ted at all opportunity. It's what they do. Rebecca also very much sees Ted and immediately, yep. immediately yep. knows what it is. Knows, is overwhelmed to the point of having to go go find him. Um, Runs off. So this right is this is the start of me pushing back on your initial thesis of the episode that. Somehow my shipping is has gone awry in this what? episode. I do not believe. I think if anything, it's been bolstered. I mean, the concern no, I, she has for him is 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 uh, top level. The power of their relationship is very much bolstered. The main shipping salvo that was thrown into our theories was what we thought was the main evidence. Sure, sure, sure. What we thought was the main evidence is the com- complete kibosh put on that. Right. But we're given other things to reaffirm that, regardless of text threads. The scale and depth of their relationship is colossal. It's, yeah, it's very very deep and, and continuing to grow. It, absolutely. I, I love how much she just runs off immediately. Game be damned. Everything else be damned. She's going to check on Ted. Yep. Be it whatever motivation, whatever else you want to assign extra to it, the friendship that the two of them have is just heartwarming. She immediately goes off to see, the, see whether she can help. But because Ted's left, because the game is tied, the coaching staff is kind of left in a tizzy. Their you know, usual linchpin that brings them all together is gone. So they kind of just start throwing out debate, throwing out theories. They argue how best they need to go aggressive right now because they need to score another point. <laughs> park the bus! Nate arrives in, yells with the team to park the bus, and unilaterally, and I mean unilaterally, he's not bringing any of the other coaches in on this. Nope. Boxing them out entirely decides three player replacements from the from the backup team and orders them to go into full on defensive posture. Everybody's confused. But it's notable they all go along with it with very little second guessing. I think there's a lesson here, which is sometimes confidence will carry you where your position will not. Like he did not have he does not have the position in the coaching staff or on the team to do this. That in this crucial moment in the FA Cup, for everybody to turn to him, of all people. Like, you would think that Roy would somehow make the call or beard. But it's the sheer confidence in which he delivers the command that carries him. I've been in rooms before of where there's a bit of a disaster, there's a bit of a conflict, and just someone steps up. It doesn't even matter who they are. It doesn't matter their position. It doesn't matter their title. The first person that speaks and stands up and walks to the center of the room, that guy's in charge now. Because they're the one that rose to the occasion. That's what Nate does. Gets through all the conflict, gets through everything else, asserts command, and provides a united form of leadership that they desperately need in this moment. It seems like a weird call to everybody else present, but nobody else is ruling. 
Nobody else is declaring anything. So he's the one that's now in charge. So I'd like to talk about what a genius strategy this is. Because Park the Bus. Oh, it's pulled. Beautiful. You notice he pulls Danny off, Colin off, some of the strikers. He, all, all their aggressive players, yeah. Yeah, he, pull, he leaves Jamie in. He does leave Jamie, Jamie in, so he's got one striker left. But he pulls everybody back into a defensive formation. And in effect, what this does, he, man, he's playing the long game psychologically. Drawing him in. Because what it does is it, the other team, not expecting this at all, knowing that Richmond needs a goal, panics and goes oh why why first off they're confused why are they doing this and second i don't know how we're gonna score when they're in such a defensive position and what do they do they start reaching full on aggressive full they on start aggressive. reaching they, they they start um really d- doing things that are a little bit more aggressive and a little bit more risky because the team has parked the bus it's harder to get through their defense and in making those risky moves what happens they make a mistake with the ball the counterattack comes jamie's still left on the field for the counterattack uh, goal. I thought it was, you know, this this show has purposely, I think, not shown us a lot of soccer strategy. It's not really a soccer show. It's a show about people with soccer around it. But this was yes. actually like a legit, like in the weeds sports strategy moment. I really appreciated it. it it's such. A, it shows where Nate's skills are. Of where particular advice to individual players, it's not his thing. Working human emotion, not his thing. But reading soccer strategies. We've seen before that is Nate's wheelhouse. That's yep. something he's really good at. Yeah. And he perfectly taps into the psychology of the team, and it works out beautifully. Richmond scores on a Jam- on a Sam pass oh, to a Jamie goal. Oh, yeah. Everybody's going nuts. But while that's happening, Rebecca is utterly indifferent to what's going on in the outside Doesn't world. Care. Utterly different to what's going on with the score. She is looking for Ted. Yep. She's roaming the inner, inner workings of the Richmond Stadium. She's not finding him anywhere. She does, however, as she's increasingly with a lot of concern in her voice, finds, appears to be Ted's cast-off coat, just lying alone outside the coach's office. Outside the coach's office. She picks down, she, reach, she grabs it, she immediately knows how severe this is. There is just outright sadness in her voice as she just says, Ted, just in time for all of the team to charge in at all kinds of sort of 11 in excitement over what the hell just happened as they just won the quarterfinal at what well, was this yeah it's the quarterfinal match to now enter the semifinals of the FA, if the FA Cup so everyone's going insane Spencer yeah. do you have like an Apple TV or a Amazon Fire Stick or Roku or something uh, Google uh, Google Chromecast but yes yeah, okay does it have like a um like when you're not watching it for a while like a screensaver that goes up on your television yeah yes like apple tv has like 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 scapes right from drone shots or whatever of like oh london or whatever i want my screensaver for my apple tv now um to be this team celebrating because i had i was like breaking it down frame by frame the actors did such a funny job like they're doing such weird things like sam's doing that like b-52s like arms up dancing rojas is on a table swinging his jersey like they're just flailing and it's going through it's it's so funny because like obviously you're you're as a viewer the first time through you're meant to think man this is really out of place and your your heart is with rebecca in the situation and ted but if you just Mm -hmm. push that plot line to the side there's a lot of comedy to be found in these guys celebrating in the locker room these guys do physical comedy well because they are just. I I would love love to know what the instructions were because I doubt they were coordinated. It was just okay. I need all of you to be the, appear the most excited you have ever appeared in your lives and go and they do that. Man, it worked well. Uh, everybody's congratulating. Everybody's celebrating. She, Rebecca's desperately trying to put on a good face. She goes over to congratulate Roy, but Roy, teammate that he is, immediately goes, "Nope, 
all Nate. All this should go to Nate right now. This isn't the Roy Kent effect at all. Nate won this game. Yep. So much so that look who is doing the post-game coach's interview. Our good friend, Nate the Great. Nathan Shelby. Now, go into the details, but if you had to rate Nate's first post-game interview, scale of five, what would you give him? Better than, better than Ted's first one. Uh, I'm going to give it a, th- a three. Three? Solid three? Yeah, yeah because I, he's char- I, he's charming, and I think um, he, he holds up pretty well. And, you know, this this confusion between Wonder Kid and Wonder Kid. By the way, am I an idiot? I thought it was Wonder Kid, too. I guess I'm dumb. I did not know it was Wonder Kid. Wonder Kid. I thought it was this Wonder is the, Kid. This is the progress of an English going from Germany, Wunderkind, to the UK, Wonderkind, to America, Wonder Kid. That is the route it went. Yeah, I, I thought it was Wonder Kid, so that made me laugh. I don't know. Maybe three is too high, but I, I don't know. I thought he did an okay job, and I thought he was kind of charming. I, th- I think he ultimately came off all right. I think everyone's going to focus on the first half and his success. Even his error just comes across as kind of charmingly incompetent yeah. rather than anything more serious. So I said, everybody's leaving this on a high. Rebecca, leaving the stadium now at night, finds two people talking in the parking lot because Higgins could not keep it in anymore. He's talking with Beard and tells him his thoughts about him and Jane, focusing on the key question of, you're a great man, does Jane make you feel great? Does Jane make you greater? Beard makes that kind of noise that people make when they don't like what you just said but have no real response to it, that kind of hard truth kind of response noise. And Higgins sees this, sees Beard kind of clench up and moves to apologize for instead Beard to move in for the hug, saying, I hear you, I get it, and we'll never speak of this again. Pretty, pretty good move there by Beard, I think. You know, he, he takes in the advice. He doesn't respond because he doesn't want to get in a back and forth about it. But he goes, yeah, basically, I appreciate you, but, you know, let's leave it at that. Yeah. Uh, Becca sees this, smiles, and seemingly is kind of emotionally affected by it. So much she so seems to take the advice, similar. right? Yeah. Yeah. She does seem to take the advice. As everybody's moving apart, uh, Rebecca in her glorious car, Jane Oof. jumps out of the friggin' bushes ah! and just... Expresses how much she enjoy- she missed Beard's scared face. Good God, their relationship. The two of them depart together, discussing Finn, who is apparently like a Rembrandt, beautiful to look at but dim, which seems to reassure Beard a little bit, uh, and her placing an Oliver, T- Oliver Twist Kangol cap on Beard's head, apparently revealing that she has a bit of an Oliver Twist kink. I gotta say, Jane, pretty good looking. Jane's a pretty good looking woman, no doubt. And... I get the weirdest vibes on their relationship where it seems like Beard's getting something out of it. It's just not from any outside perspective a healthy relationship. I think Beard thinks physically he's out of his league. Oh, I think, God, I think, she, I think she looks better. I think he thinks she looks better than he does on the male-female equivalency scale. And so therefore he's willing to put up with a little bit more crazy. We all know these relationships where oh, the guy God, or the woman think that they're in over their head from a physical standpoint. And therefore they put up with whatever. I think there might be a touch of that going on. There's obviously some beard just likes crazy and he's sort of a weird guy. But I think about mm-hmm. 10 to 15% of it is like Jane's pretty good looking. That's a fair read. Nate is meanwhile alone in the coach's office, on his phone, watching himself blow up on Twitter. Yeah. Keeley would be proud. Keeley would be proud. Roy walks in and compliments Nate again on his great fucking work today. Nate thanks him, smiles, but as Roy walks away, the smile immediately sours and disappears. As Nate instead turns back to his kind of self-congratulatory Twitter spiral. 
Showing again that even when Nate succeeds, it finds a way to turn all kinds of wrong because Nate's inner issues have not in any way been addressed. I took that to mean that he saw some criticism on Twitter that he was flipping through and he saw some he saw a negative comment. I wasn't sure because he, his spiral faded when Roy walked away and after Roy left. It was he was just putting on a presentation for Roy, but is still very much unhappy with him and competing for a role on the team. I'll he didn't tell seem you, like he was at all frowning at the Twitter. I'll tell you, the negative comments will will hit you bad. We've had a few negative comments on our our pod, Spencer. And I always what I know. I do. You, I know. You've I never told them, me any I of those. From, yeah, well, I hide you from them and delete them and scrub them from the internet. But you know, it does always hit you when you're like, "Holy oh, crap!" That person that I don't know. You know, doesn't like this thing I'm really trying hard to do. Um, I think that might end up being a thing for Nate. Like, I, uh, maybe we'll not. Assume. But they, they really focused on how fixated he was on the feedback on Twitter. So uh, we already know that Keely is a big social media person and she talks about it a lot. They might they might connect that in a plot line later. Possible. I think right now the issue is just he views himself as in competition with Roy and he feels like that he won one over Roy right now. So... Nate almost feels like the guy where now that he's gotten a position, he's plotting Roy's demise because really, there can only be one. Really hope that's not the route he's going because Roy Roy is such a good counterbalance to him. Yeah, and he offers things that Nate can't, and exactly. that's okay. Yeah, and Nate offers things Roy can't, right? Because I mean, Roy Roy's very much tactical. He's thinking like, okay, yeah. did, you, did you notice the advice he was giving? It was very much like, okay, you Mechanics. stand over there. You yes. stand over here, move that way. Whereas Nathan was thinking strategy. much higher level strategy, psychology of the other team. So I think they work well together. Uh, Dr. Sharon is invited out for a drink with the team. Again, showing how far she's come. Yeah. Uh, and she at least agrees. This time. They won the quarterfinal. This merits one drink. Uh, it's a start. Yeah. Rebecca's in her car. And she calls Ted. Because she's worried about him. And encourages him to call her. It's also notable that part of the reason she's calling as well is that her first thought when she's about to go through what she knows is a difficult conversation with her mom, inspired by Higgins, she wants to talk to Ted to get his advice and pep talk before she does. So I got the quote here, and I, I'm going to say Please. I'm going to say the quote because I think that there are many parts in this quote that show affection. There's a lot of like there like punches of affection. So I was a bit worried about you today, Punch. If you need me, do give me a call, Punch. I'm just on my way home for a very difficult conversation with my mother, and I could really use one of your pep talks. Punch. Anyway, take care. Punch. Punch. Like, it's a lot of these little, like, flashes of affection within that that quote. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Um, by the time she arrives home, though, as we noted previously in very much succession manner, the mom is left with Gone. a note simply addressed to sausage. Uh, she's left the shepherd's pie in the fridge because she's returned to her husband and her new Tesla. With nothing new on banter and her mom not at home, Rebecca turns to Hunky Luca and prepares for another sexy night of solace. At the same moment, though, as she undresses and walks away from her phone, she receives another message from LDN152, apologizing for the delay and finally agreeing to meet her as the camera pans back and we reveal that we've been fed innumerable red herrings over the course of the last few episodes because oh, it has been Sam what? all along. Ugh. Okay. All right. Let's do it now. Well, yeah, let's talk about this. What do you think of this switcheroo? I don't. I mean, what do I think of the switcheroo? I don't think they gave us enough for it to necessarily be a fair switcheroo to think it was Sam. They were purposely so working hard to believe that it was Ted the entire time. So 
that's one issue there. We did note previously that her and Sam did have a kind of a similar vibe at the one time they've had a, a couple times they've had a conversation together. It seemed like they resonated off each other well. So we did kind of note that previously and even joked how funny it would be if the two of them ever tried to, you know, hook up or whatever else. Um, but I'm mixed on the sudden switcheroo reveal. Other than that, I was honestly surprised by it. I was surprised by as it. As a relationship, though, as a potential relationship, that's a different conversation to unpack. Okay, well, I was surprised by it. I uh, I do think that it makes some sense because, I mean, the, these Ted-isms are kind of close to Sam-isms. I mean, he says some of this corny crap bit, from time yeah. to time, too. So it's not it's not out of the realm to think that, like, that voice that you were seeing on that iPhone on, on through the banter application it, was actually it can come Sam. From Sam. I hope what they do with this is they find out it's each other, they laugh, and they use that as a way to tell Keeley, you know, I don't think this banter thing really works that well. This is kind of stupid. <laughs> and it, they kind of play it off as like a, you know what you really need? You need two mess it banter. You need some combination. You know what it, You know what yes. you need? Match.com. Dividing these up. You need, the, you need the thing that already exists. Like you need the picture, you need the physical aspect, but you also need that sort of like communication part. Just focusing on one or the other really doesn't work. I hope that's what they do. If they go the route that like Rebecca really considers dating Sam and by versa i would i would view that as um it would be i i predict that the acting involved in that will be kit harrington amelia clark levels of awkward in in the lack in the lack of actual um any sort of chemistry there i really hope they don't go that route I mean, they're even, even kind of showing it in the fact that Rebecca's having to keep both open and running at the same time yes. in terms of domestic and banter to balance out her actual relationship needs because one can't really provide for the other. Um, I really hope they don't just for a few logical reasons. I mean, there's a remarkable age difference between the two of them. She's in a direct position to power over him. She's She owns his contract to the point that they previously had negotiations over whether she can just straight up fire him if she wants to over the whole um, sponsorship issue. There's a massive difference in wealth and power. It doesn't work in my mind at all as a potential relationship. Though, looking at the various threads, some people were already really excited about that potential. I'm just not. I don't I, think it may, I don't think it's I, hope I don't think they, it's a relationship that has any long-term hope. We are completely aligned with this. I hope they toss it as soon as they find out. I hope it's laughed off. I hope they go nowhere with that. That would be uh, something I'd have to sit through. But you did well, say it, that there's not a lot of music in this episode. I would just like to point out, jump man, jump man, jump man. Woo! Dim boys up to something. Woo! Here, yeah. They spent like two or three weeks. Oh man, love the Drake jump man. Yeah, I mean, part of the part, I guess part of the problem I also have with the potential of the relationship with them is I see Sam as being like twelve emotionally. Yep. That's kind of where I see Sam because he always comes across as being very, very idealistic, young, naive kind of thing. I'm guessing he's actually like, I don't, I don't know how old the actor is, but the character comes across as like really early 20s kind yeah. of thing. And, and like you, there are some parallels in how him and Ted speak, but Ted is obviously much more emotionally mature and intelligent yeah. emotionally than Sam is. So I completely agree with you. Let's let's let hands up prayer emoji. Let's hope they do nothing with that. We'll see. I think, like you said, I think I really like the scenario you set up for how they can use this when the reveal comes. We'll find out. Hit that you nobly with my life and woo! Back in her office, though, Dr. Sharon is surprised to find Ted on her couch. Looking, I would say, more than a little bit worse for wear. Oddly, he seems to be wearing a different jacket, or the same jacket. I think he left his jacket on the floor, but he's got a big puffy coat around him right there. Oh, Ted. Ted just simply looks up and says he wants to make an appointment. 
and he's so in a state that he's unable to even keep it together long enough to hold her gaze. Just the fact that she's even looking at him causes him to kind of collapse a little bit in himself. As the song only by RYX plays, and the credits run. As we see Ted, probably in what we, I would say, the darkest moment we've seen him since his panic attack last season. I agree. There we go, Spencer. Shout out. Another week with the recap. I know it's a... We're getting into long episodes. I'm sure these recaps take you a long time, man. So much appreciated. Um, although there was some soccer here, right? I, you know, you you described this episode to me as like not particularly quotable. I think that's fair. Uh, there was a lot there, a lot for us to unpack in the recap, mm-hmm. but a less quotable episode all the way around. I think Definitely. that is a, a pretty good lead into our segments. You want to go train wreck of the episode? Cause I've got number one with a bullet gold medal award winner for uh, my train wreck of the episode. No, I got to say, I, I was baffled who to pick here. I had not even the slightest theory. I I'm really going to depend on here to offer a suggestion about who our train wreck just was. as difficult as a Christmas episode. Is that what you were thinking? Possibly even more extreme. I mean, this was just an episode of where everyone was at a cloud nine. I've got nothing to even offer. Okay. Ted gets train wreck of the episode, obviously. Oh, right. Yeah. I forgot about him. Yeah. What a hot mess he is. Um, I think it starts with some, uh, I think right from the beginning, you see either one of two things he's doing when he's walking into that. Cause they, they make a big push, a big focus on him walking into work and how he's interacting with everybody. I think, yeah, there's some jokes there. Yeah. Uh, 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 we, you know, callback joke. We can laugh at. Laughing Liam. I do think an element of that though is one of two things. It's either he's hiding something, he's overcompensating for the fact that he's not doing particularly well emotionally, or there is some level of uh, like on the spectrum of bipolar, and he's a little bit manic in that moment. I, I don't know which one it is, but it's something along those lines because I, I think the, they're trying to show you that he's a little over the top there. And then you have the mm-hmm. comeback when he has the conversation with a kid for getting the lunch. And then you have the eventual panic attack. So I feel like we're just getting um, uh, little threads throughout the episode that he, he's not doing well with his psychological health. It ultimately cul- culminates in a panic attack. I think we've been talking about that a little bit over the course of the season, where there's been a lot of times of where Ted feels a bit forced. That he's still funny, he's still got some great lines, but a lot of times it just feels like he's being the most Ted that he can possibly be in certain situations. Yep. It seems like it's almost been building. And yeah, the intro seems like it hammers that home, and we just see the spiral he goes on since from what would normally be minor little bits of data, but in his particular state, they are just, the whole dam is breaking. Yeah. So it's a really rough thing to see Ted in the state. And it doesn't seem like a state that he would realistically come back from quickly. No, it shouldn't. No. And it, there may be, a, like, the show probably won't cover this, but in reality, if you're dealing with this type of thing, there's probably some level of therapy and a medical, like a, a um, medication solution for you. And that, by the way, life little life lessons from Lee here, don't be embarrassed about that. If you go to the psychiatrist and there's some level of medication that they, you know, say that might be a good idea for you to try, don't think it makes you weak. Don't think you're better than it. Don't think it's something you need to hide. Just give it a try. It's okay. Reduce the well, stigma around that. And it's one of those things if we're, if there was less of a stigma, we'd actually start to realize that actually a lot of people go to therapy. Actually, a lot of people are on medication. Yes. And it's it's okay. not that unusual nowadays. Yeah, It's, it's a, just yeah. pe- most people don't talk about it. It's absolutely okay. Uh, I would say my my honorable mention this week for Trainwreck of the Episode, I'm going to give to Rebecca's mom, who's a hot mess. Oh, God. But it seems to be controlled yep. chaos, right? Re- Rebecca's mom or Nate, if you like your honorable mentions there. Nate, <laughs> despite his incredible successes, we're seeing how much the successes just go wrong when they get placed in Nate and Nate's left alone. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I think Rebecca's mom earns the more reasonable mention that she's apparently been a train wreck for like, you know, 25 years. 
Yeah, I feel like there our ability to accurately and clearly find a train wreck of the episode for this segment negatively correlates with my enjoyment of the episode, right? Because when I enjoy the episode, it's everybody just <laughs> fucking around and making jokes. Yeah. But when it's a big, like, sort of dramatic episode like this one is, you can usually find a train wreck of the episode. Absolutely. All right. Um, sports in our top ten. Let's let's address this first. Okay. Higgins Higgins versus Ted. Uh, Nate and Rebecca's advice on telling a friend your own thoughts about their relationship. Okay, let's Where make do that you your sports center top 10 one, okay? Yeah, that's what I'm doing. Okay, um, I am going to do something uh, that's going to frustrate you. I am going to let it ride to my life lessons with Ted segment because I do have some, some advice around this. So um, I am going to say that I, I will address that in my life lessons with Ted, but I will say for for this part of the conversation before I kick it back over to you, that I don't think there's an easy answer here. I don't. I don't think you can just black and white say one thing or the other. What did you think? I absolutely. I think there's a balance that has to be achieved. I'll say that every fiber of my being resonates with "Don't get involved. Don't get involved. Don't get involved. Don't get involved." Because a, I don't like to get involved in other people's business. Period. And b, the times I have, it can go disastrous so fast. However. If you see a friend honestly in that kind of a uh, relationship that is straight up wrong or abusive or just taking away enjoyment and happiness from their life, a certain polite, careful, delicate degree of just talking them about it and talking them through it, maybe helping them reach a certain decision on it, it's a necessary part of being a friend. But it is such a difficult rope to walk in terms of doing those things because particularly when you start to become friends with both aspects of the relationship too, which can get even worse. So I don't think it's an easy answer. I think it's a very difficult situation that friends find in. And I share Higgins' difficulties when it comes to this, of where you want to help, you want to intervene, it feels bad not to, but dear God, how do you go about it in a way that doesn't equal both disastrous for you and possibly even more hurtful to them? I've got a life lessons with Lee here that you're not going to like. Are you ready for it? Oh, God. Uh, yeah, please. You're going to go dislike on. this one. So if you're fr- you have a friend, right, and a good friend, and they get in a relationship with someone. Um, yeah. Try to try to not do the. I'm gonna become independently friends with the other other. Can't do it, man. That, I can't do yeah, it. Yeah, I know you do it all the time. I know you're not gonna like that. Spencer is a big fan of this. I, don't do. Don't like. Just stay friends with your buddy. Don't feel <laughs> the need. It. it happens every time. Don't feel the need to create a separate, independent relationship with that person's significant other. It's kind of weird, but it also puts everybody in an awkward position if they ever split. I mean. Maybe maybe consider this if the person's like married for like ten years or something. Then it might not be as big a deal. But but I, I've I, have these, too- I have these friends that do it. You, you're one of them. But like you're not the, nowhere near the worst I've ever seen. That create these independent relationships with somebody's significant other, and it puts everybody in an awkward position. And it's like just look. Just, just stay friends with your buddy. Be cordial to the other person. <laughs> it's much easier for all involved. I- I am a pretty friendly person by nature, and so I try to you know get nice and get friend, get, get, get develop a close relationship with a lot of people I'm around. I've been doing that with respect to friends, significant others, since I was like freaking twelve. And as you note, dear God, does that work out painfully in terms of when breakups happen? Yeah, it can be super weird. So to the extent your personality allows you, try to try to hang hang off of that. Uh, still be Can't nice, still be nice, but but don't don't be like best friends with your buddies, girl. So, are you suggesting that I go straight Nate when it comes to you know friends, significant others? Just straight up cult, refer to them as a what was a, what was a blithering kestrel or things along those lines? No blithering kestrel. Call it. be be Ted. You know, Ted's like, oh yeah, good to see you. Um, my sports okay. in the top Ted. Straight up depression. Gotcha. Is a reference to Esther Perel. 
you know who this one, this lady was? It's uh, Rebecca's no, mom I don't. made the reference. It's a Belgian psychotherapist of Polish Jewish descent who has explored the tension between the need for security, love, belonging, closeness, and the need for freedom, erotic desire, adventure, and distance in human relationships. Doesn't that make sense that she would be bringing this up in the midst of this potential split with her her husband? The need for <sighs> the need for the security that he provides, the long term relationship, the money, et cetera, et cetera, and then how she says. In the last few years of my life, I'm going to enjoy myself. I'm going to be free. I'm going to be out there flying away and enjoying everything that life has to offer. So I think the reference to Esther Perel, who I had no idea who it was, is pretty on the nose. So, you know, again, good good move on the writers. Nice one done. Uh, next one from me, Roy Kent's style of coaching. The, what that man brings. Sorry, you, you want to say something on that one? No, already, no, no. Already? Go ahead. No. Mm-mm. The level of personal tailoring, the level of meeting people on their own terms and speaking to them with their language that he offers in the moment with just well-meaning, well-thought-out advice that is perfect for what they need at that time, the man's a natural coach. It's really impressive to see how well he does at it. Okay. Um, I think I'm going to go with HR Puffin Stuff. Please explain to our audience what HR Puffin Stuff is because I had no idea until I looked it up. Um so HR Puffin Stuff was a t- children's show from the 70s. Um, and it was very short-lived. It was only like 17 episodes of this show. Mm-hmm. And I'm going to read you. A l- I'd, I had heard of this, but I didn't really know a lot about it. I think I'd caught a reference from like an older, older my older brother maybe one time. HR Puffin Stuff introduced the cross-most-used plot scenario of a fairy tale of good versus evil as well as their secondary plot scenario of The Stranger in a Strange Land. The show centered on a shipwrecked boy named Jimmy, played by blah, 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 blah. He's 11 years old when he arrives on the island and turns 12 in the episode, blah, blah, blah. So it's like this sort of like a deserted island thing of good versus evil, as well as A Stranger in a Strange Land. Mm-hmm. And that's the show. Yeah. Um, so uh, sort of weird, re- sort of weird esoteric reference, as you mentioned, by Ted. But that's that's what I got on HR Puff and stuff. I did do a quick uh, watch of a little bit of an episode on YouTube. Um, gonna gonna tell our audience it's a stay away. You don't need to watch it. It's full. It's full size, like adult size puppets, right? Yeah, it's pretty strange. So it's stay away. You don't need it. And, and from what I read, HR Puff and stuff is a Scottish dragon who is the mayor of an island. Do I got that right? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Uh, well, I'm sure people that grew up in the early and mid-70s really appreciated that show. All right. Next on your Sports Center Top 10. Uh, no, no, no. I want to I get faster to uh, Life Advice with Life Advice with Lee. There was a lot of great moments in this episode, but I really want to hear some of the Life Advice with Lee before we get, get much longer. Okay, I got two. The one give, is, give me the two. One is Running Charades. What's Running Charades? You don't know Running Charades? <laughs> Okay, we can leave it at that. And then okay. Steve Weebs against Billy Mitchell. Donkey Kong. Yeah, so these are two gamers who battled to reach 1 million points in Donkey Kong, a feat Mitchell appeared to do first. But, dumb, 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 drama, drama, drama. There was accusations against Mitchell, which were a little bit complicated. But basically what it is is that he used what's called a MAM, M-A-M-E, emulator, rather than the mm-hmm. arcade circuit board to achieve the million point game on Donkey Kong thus wasn't authentic thus making his achievements invalid and giving in a very controversial decision pulling the championship belt off of uh, Mitchell and giving it to Steve Weebs so there you go 
A very controversial moment that is still argued to this day. And isn't there like a, um, a documentary about this? Yeah, there's a 2000 oh, documentary yeah. about oh, yeah. it, um, which that is not a stay away. By the way, the idea that they made a documentary <laughs> about two guys trying to Absolutely. beat the high score of King Kong, that is on my, that is a Saturday night viewing for me. I'm going to watch that. Documentaries on niche subjects are just my jam. Those are so much fun. We're like, Full in, absolute passion bringing to bear on a subject that maybe like a very limited audience would seem to care about. Those are just fun. Okay. All right. You ready for Life Lessons with Ted? Very. Okay. Life Lessons with Ted. So the first one I'm going to do is, um, this is something that we talked about a little bit with Ted's journey and definitely his journey within the episode, but in the larger arc of the two seasons. And it's something that is hard to do. It takes years and years and years to do but I think everybody should be striving toward it. And that is to learn the warning signs of your mental health. When, uh. when you have certain things that are creeping into your, to your day, to your personality, to your reactions to things that are warning signs that your mental health are not, is not good. You need to not, you need to, but it, it's good to start picking up on those things and trying to learn yourself. And it's not easy because those things creep in and they are, uh, they're hard to immediately identify. But over the years, with work, potentially with a psychiatrist, but you know, not necessarily, you can start to identify those things. And it might just be snapping at somebody. It might be sleeping more than you normally do. It might be crying at stuff at like movies, television shows that you don't normally. It, oftentimes, it can be very subtle things that creep into your life that give you an idea that your mental health's not great. And it that could be. Um, a place that you go ahead and address it instead of letting it get to the point that Ted did. So what I would say is as you're on this journey of life, as you're doing the things, um, you know, that, that are difficult in life and you're going through ups and downs, try to learn yourself, try to learn those early indicators and try to then immediately take steps to improve your mental health if possible. That's a great thing to point out because I know a lot of people that tend to rely on their close friends or loved ones to point out when those signs are there rather than necessarily being aware of them themselves. Yep. And so the degree to which you can already know in advance rather than relying on others, a very useful thing. And it gets you, first off, it's not necessarily a fair thing to ask someone else to do. And yep. and second, it gets you out of the, no, I'm not. No, you're wrong. I'm fine. Back and forth, which is not good for anybody. It, try to learn. Save the defensiveness. Own. It takes time. It's not an easy thing to do, but try to do that. Um, the second, you're going to be surprised by this one. Here's the quote. I'm always surprised. What? You made him a team player. You got him to pass and shit. And in doing so, you made him average. Because Jamie, deep down at your core, you are a prick. So just be a prick. Here's the life lesson in that. Go on. Here's the life lesson in that. Is that when you are doing things to try to better yourself, either within the context of a potential activity, job, game, life, relationship, whatever, when you're trying to better yourself, don't lose the thing that makes you unique. Don't lose the thing mm -hmm. that makes people love you. You might be trying, like, you know, like, for, here's a good example, right? Like, for years, I was a ball buster. I made fun of people um, and mm -hmm. joked around. And that's something my friends really, really liked. But then there, I went through a period of, like, thinking, man, I, I think I overdo that. I think I really do that too much to people and, and they don't really like it. And so I, I got... No, we love it. Exactly. There you go. There, see, ladies and gentlemen, that's my point, is that I went too far away from it. My friends were like, whoa, don't stop that. Like, that's the thing that we really look forward to when you come over, right? So there you go. Like, don't try not to lose yourself in self-betterment. And, and, th and this factors so perfectly into the example with Jamie of where being a prick 
is it can be a fun part of a relationship with a team, with loved ones, with friends. That can be a part of the dynamic. That's a significant portion of a lot of guys' relationships, that kind of banter with each other. So long as it doesn't become a thing of where it actually destabilizes the relationships. There's a balance to things, but don't lose what actually makes you part of the group. Exactly. And the final one, and this is the one I alluded to, this is the one I let it ride when you brought it up Thank earlier, you. the Sports Center Top 10, and that is when, the, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to put specifically for when your friend is in a relationship and for whatever okay. reason, you don't approve. You can, you can question if it's even your right to approve or not approve, but let's say in your mind, you don't approve. What do you do? You have got to think about your reaction within the context of the person, the personality, and the nature of your relationship. Do not fall into the trap that this show does of you always say something or you always don't. There are people Absolutely. There are people where, given the nature of your relationship, given your history, and given their, their personality, it makes perfect sense to approach them. They will take the advice. They'll have an open and honest conversation with you about it. They may even have multiple conversations with you about it as the, as the relationship progresses, and they will not be the worst for wear for it. There are other people, though, that will shut down, will get mad at you, will say it's not your business, and will hate you forever. And you have to, like, you, that's a thing you learn about the person, right? So... Don't don't think in your mind like don't do what the show did is what I'm trying to say. Don't don't don't, don't say I always do this or I always do that. Try to tailor it to specific to the specific situation. Yeah, don't treat what the show did as generalized advice as a one size fits all solution to this scenario. Because I think you also referenced a key key aspect of this too. When you have these feelings, but someone else's relationship, ponder yourself why you have those feelings. Because it may not necessarily be any problem with them. It may just be an issue that you're having. Right. Yeah, absolutely. But um, yeah, so totally think about it through through the individualized context of the situation. And there you go, Spencer. I think that might have been the longest Ted's life lesson, and it might have been the most serious that we ever did. So we might we might have lost our our audience at this point. Maybe maybe nobody's listening the, anymore. They're with you, man. They're following this advice in a very one size fits all kind of manner. They're taking this advice and applying it to every situation in their lives. And I think the conclusions you just reached really say it's a good thing for them to do. Okay. Well, I think that is the end of our segment spencer do you have any concluding thoughts about the episode this feels like you know i've used this term a few times this feels like the, one of the linchpin episodes of the season of where this is one of the things that the entire season has been kind of building toward and is going to reverberate around and it's going to be really curious to see where they go from this i will find this similar to how i'm now feeling about episode three really disappointing if they don't if they just like brush this over and don't come back to it i don't think they can this really seems like the direction they've been going in the entire time but this next episode is the kind of opportunity to stick the landing about what's the aftermath from this? What's the path forward? Where do we chart from here? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I think there's a lot of people who were upset with episode three because you didn't get the resolution of what Sam did and, and the, the heaviness of that and how it would have had these far reaching impacts. I think the show, folks, if you're waiting for that, I'm sorry. I think the folk, I think the show's glossed over that. I don't think we're coming back to it. I do hope that there's some resolution in Ted's mental health issue. And I do think we're going to get that. Yeah. But the whole thing that they did in the last episode of basically the breaking the fourth wall and saying, buckle up folks, we got this, like, trust us. We're going to land this plane. I I'm not having a lot of faith with it on the romance side, because I think, Oh that, wow. I think the thing that they did with Sam, it was a swerve. Okay. I, I just think it's a, it's a nothing burger for the, for the, plots and the journeys of the romance of these characters it does but, nothing it's a red herring i don't i'm not a big fan 
Well, it's was, it was an interesting thing of where we were, probably because the show itself was feeding us that, expecting a romantic comedy use of that. But now neither of us think that there's any future in what they've now offered for that scenario. So it doesn't really have the romantic comedy resolution. It has just the... I, I, a, diff a different kind of purpose. It, it's either just a one-off joke or one-off swerve just to have something unexpected, or they're going to go in a direction that we maybe don't want or, don't want or like. Yeah, I don't know, man. Well, we'll see, though. Um, ultimately, an engaging episode, though, not my favorite. Uh, we do this at the end of every episode. I ask you not to rate the episodes as one, two, three, but to give a general, is it in your top half, top quarter, bottom half, bottom quarter? I'll say for me, it's not necessarily in the bottom corner quarter of episodes, but it's somewhere between that bottom 25 and 50%. It's definitely in my, my bottom half uh, of episodes as far as my particular enjoyment on it. What did you think? Uh, again, it's really becoming hard now to view these episodes in, isol in isolation, just in terms of being able to judge them, just from what degree they'll ultimately factor in on where the season's going to go. But as it stands for its effect, for its impact, and I think for its importance. It's definitely one of the best episodes or most important episodes of this season and possibly one of the most important, important episodes of the show. Overall enjoyment of it, eh, top half, but not definitely not in the, top, in the absolute top of the list. But I think as an important episode, this one's going to resonate for a while. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I think I agree with you, although, you know, obviously, I'm here for the jokes, the pop culture references, the yeah, silly yeah, moments. I mean, how, Didn't give me a lot of I'm, that. How many lassoisms did you really get this episode? Yeah. Did you get what, really any to save to use for future? Just, just yeah, it wasn't, it wasn't a lot. Yeah, uh, one I will use though is, hey, tell your mom I said happy birthday, and whatever you decide to get her, tell her it was from the both of us. I might use that one in the future. Uh, 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 uh. <laughs> Pretty good. Um, okay, uh, well, thanks everybody for listening. Again, the, the listenership of this podcast continues to grow. Spencer and I are sort of gobsmacked by the numbers. We do have a lot of folks who are out there giving us ratings, giving us comments. I want to shout out to Cockalier. I want to shout out to Thor Gunnarsson, uh, Jensen68. T5127, uh, Daydreamer1682. All these folks, Spencer, all these folks listened, took the time mm -hmm. to rate, and took the time to give us a review and, and, and actually put their fingers to the keyboard and gave us a review. Uh, I am really appreciative of that whenever people do that, good or bad. Um, I, I do like to hear your feedback. So please, whatever podcast platform that you're listening, please rate, review, subscribe if you like the podcast. That way it will show up in your feed magically as soon as we post them every Saturday. <laughs> and you can listen to us continue to review Ted Lasso here on the Lasso Lowdown. And I would like to give a plug before we wrap up here. And that is another pod on the Mango Talks Podcast Network. If you are a fan of Harry Potter, I highly suggest that you you search a show called Pottering Around. Spencer does it with a few of our, our other folks here on the Mangum Talks podcast network. And I think it's really, really good. It's a chapter by chapter reread of Harry Potter. They have great segments. It's funny. And how about this one for a little bit of a tease? The intro is Spencer humming the Harry Potter songs from the movies. Oh God, they're still it doing that? Absolutely is the intro to the pod. I think it's a great pod. So if you if you like the Not a singer. if you like the type of style of this podcast where there's segments, there's jokes, there's reviewing of material that you really like. If you like Harry Potter, go check out Pottering Around Chapter by Chapter Reread of the Harry Potter series. That is it for the housekeeping, Spencer. I think that concludes this episode of The Lasso Lowdown. Thanks, everybody, for listening. We will be back with you. These episodes drop on Apple Plus every Friday, and we are here with you the day after. We post these podcasts every Saturday, so that means we will be back with you next Saturday reviewing Season 2, Episode 7. Thanks, everybody, for listening.
Okay, we're doing something unprecedented here. We what? just wrapped up the episode. It was over. And then we started to save our files. We started to walk away. And I said, Spencer, there was something I wish that I had mentioned on the podcast. And Spencer, gamely, podcast professional that he is, said, stop. Don't tell me. Let's record a new file. Let's do it at the end of the episode. The post-credits scene that we're doing here on the Lasso Lowdown. We're going to do a little theory crafting. little theory crafting about where things are going. Spencer, do you want to start? Or you want me to start? Well, sir, are we watching Game of Thrones once again? The theory crafting on Ted Lasso? This is something we've never even attempted this. I think that the plots are getting intricate enough now, and they're doing so much character development. I think we can do a little theory crafting. Let's let's throw out one here, because I think I think you and I are both the same mind about there is a question this episode is asking that is going to be really curious to see how they answer going forward. I sort of uh, offhandedly mentioned it before, but we're going to address it face on now, which is how long will Ted continue being the coach of Richmond? And it is my belief, I could be wrong, but this is just my theory, that as soon as the next episode, Ted will not be the coach of Richmond anymore. And it will be voluntary and it'll probably be after talking to Dr. Sharon. She'll probably say something like, you know, you really need to take a break to work on yourself. He'll agree. He'll step aside, and I think Nathan Shelby will be appointed the new head coach of Richmond here in the next episode, possibly two, but I'm thinking next episode. Spencer, what do you think about the theory, and then do you have any theories of your own? The the thing I'm curious about is, do you believe this will be permanent, or if you believe it's temporary, how long-term will it be in terms of Ted stepping aside as head coach of Richmond? It will start temporary, and Ted will be back as head coach next season. Next season. I'm picturing, I'm agreeing with an aspect of this. I think Ted will either step back, maybe not even formally, but informally, for two episodes. And I think he'll return in triumphant fashion, episode nine, episode ten of of, of this season. But I think this is setting up that long term, like end of next season, a passing the torch to Nate as the new head coach of Richmond. Yeah, I think, yeah, Nate's going to be the ultimate head coach. And I, I don't think Roy's going to have a problem with it. I don't think Roy wants to be the head coach. I, I so think, I think the fact the fact that Nathan thinks they're in competition, I think, is a little misguided. I'm not sure Roy views himself that way. I'll be really curious to see how long it takes for that to come to a direct head. Because the looks that Nate was giving uh, Roy and the reaction that Nate was having to Roy being celebrated... That needs to come out in the open fairly quickly. Otherwise, that's going to be straight up Mozart Salieri kind of shit here before too long. Of where I wouldn't put it past Nate to actually try to do things to sabotage Roy or try to get things to get Roy out of the way. Yeah, and that's crazy because I'm not sure Roy views it that way. So there you go. That's the theory that I wanted to, to make sure we codify. Now, of course, if this theory does not pan out, I'll just remove this section from the podcast <laughs> after next episode. Never existed. And then it'll never, it'd be like it never existed. Are there, that's that's my big theory. Spencer, do you have any other theories while we're doing theory time uh, before we wrap up? No, I think this is a really, really most important theory to focus on because this episode more than ever before teased that idea that Ted's role may not be permanent. We have other coaches stepping in to fill in. We have other coaches succeeding. We have players seemingly working better off their styles. The role that Ted had in bringing the team together, this episode-wise, almost feels celebrated but superfluous, at least in terms of what they actively need going forward. Agreed. Yeah, it was the, it, they minimized the win so much, it makes me think that they're not going to tie the team's success to Ted's success anymore, which separates him from the team. And makes him, you know, not, not the coach anymore. So I think that's going to happen. That's my that's my take. And it may be something that Ted actually just kind of needs. I don't know how much longer he can deal with, or at least 
as in his current state, I don't think he can much longer deal with the distance unless he gets some help in terms of processing it. I agree. Okay, we're ready to wrap up theory time? Absolutely. Okay. All right. Well, thanks, everybody, for joining us here in this post credit scene. We'll be back with you next week.